On his retirement run with Noah, he's announced that finally after his second double knee surgery, knee replacement surgery, he probably should stop wrestling at the uh, tender age of 58 years old. Uh, and, is so, and so is having a main event run. He wrestled Kiyomiya uh, yesterday. Uh, we'll maybe have a look at that show next week. Uh, but we thought it'd be a good idea to celebrate the life and times of Kiyoji Muto. And to join me on this momentous occasion is the wonderful Mr. Darrow O'Connor from the Wrestling Rewind. How are you, sir? Ahoy, how are you? I'm all right, thank you very much. Very much, thank you very much for asking. Um, I did this playlist based around what you could find on YouTube. Now, an awful lot of Muto's career is obviously tied up with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and you can go and watch it on New Japan World, but Dara doesn't have New Japan World, and a lot of you probably don't either. So what I thought was, if I only go with what's available on YouTube, we should get a good scan of his career. Some of it not quite legally provided on YouTube, but there we go. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, Darrow would be able to join and watch it with me. Um, so when I say the great Muto, or Kiyoji Muto, Darrow, what do you think of? A lad who spits in people's faces. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I know. I mean, I mean, like he is the D name. You know, he's one of the names that even if you're not a huge fan of Japanese wrestling, you've heard of the great Muto. And here's the thing. I didn't actually, when I was going through this playlist, I was surprised by how, well, one, how varied it is. And then like, that it just kind of spends everywhere. So, like, if you have stuff from TNA, has stuff from WCW, it's wild. It really is just kind of, he is one of the names in wrestling, you know, period. But then when you go to Japan, obviously, he has a whole other career. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, his legacy is still felt um, to this day. And, I mean, you can see it. As I said, I was making a joke, but also not really, because most people would have known particularly younger would have known Tajiri, who's actually on this playlist. He pretty much just kind of stole the great Muda's gimmick. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that was that was it, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he's when you think of Japanese wrestling, the great Muda is there. And even if, he, like, when you think of WCW, like he was in the NWO, yeah. it's, it's crazy. So, I mean, there's a lot to get into. Um, it, it is a deep playlist, so... Uh, you know, I don't grab, grab, like I'm currently melting because it's so warm here. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. grab yourself a nice drink and uh, yeah, we're going to get into it. Indeed we are. So, of course, Kiyoji Muto was a New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestler and he started his career in the New Japan Dojo along with other such minor wrestlers as Shinya Hashimoto, <laughs> Masahiro Chono and of course Kiyoji Muto, uh, not Kiyoji Muto, uh, Jushin, the man who would become uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, Kiyoji Yamada, um, arguably the greatest men's wrestling class of all time. All the lads. Yes, the lads, as our good friend Alan Cheapshot would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm sure he has pictured, posted the, the dojo picture of them with the lads on it many times before. Um, and he was kind of of this generation called the Three Musketeers with Chano and Hashimoto. They were the ones who were the second generation who were going to take over from Fujinami and from Antonio Inoki. And that's pretty much what they did. 
Um, but they all went off in different directions. Chono famously kind of did his apprenticeship and his excursions in Germany, where he met his German wife, um, and they still live together in Japan. Hashimoto did a lot of time in different places in the world. But Muta, or Muto, I should say, let's not get those two confused, because there's some confusion to come and some plagiarism to come, um, as uh, Darrow's already alluded to. Muto uh, went off to North America to do his uh, excursion under a character um, which, you know, was called Super Black Ninja because there wasn't anyone who wasn't racist back then. Um, <laughs> and he ends up in all sorts of territories in the southern United States of America. Uh, NWA affiliated New Japan Pro Wrestling at the time. And generally you have to understand that excursions were kind of the wrestler's deal back then. It wasn't like it is now, like you see the young boys in New Japan in the LA Dojo or in the Tokyo Dojo and they get shipped off to Ring of Honor when it was going full bar or they'll get shipped off to CMLL or Ref Pro um, and they'll do a couple of years of growing on those independent circuits and then they'll come back to Japan. Back in these days, they weren't even under contract. You were expected to work your own deal. So he went off to uh, the Caribbean and Carlos Colon's uh, rest, World Wrestling Council promotion in uh, Puerto Rico and dealt with the deal himself and booked him. They booked him on the shows as Super Black Ninja, uh, which was a character kept in Florida and various other territories, really, until he got to Texas a bit later in his excursion. And the first match on our playlist, which is the earliest Muto stuff I could find, um, Muto stuff I could find, is Super Black Ninja versus DNT, one of the young rising stars of WWC at the time. Um, do you know whose TNT would end up being, Dara? No. That's Savio Vega. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> oh, of course it is. Yeah. Sorry, the picture quality is is pretty horrendous, but it, it's, uh, it's VHS from 1988. So and it uh, looks heavy, Barrow. <laughs> and he's around about 20 pounds lighter than he would be in his A day. So when 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 was this filmed? 1988, I think, maybe 87. Yeah. What month? Do we know? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm, well, just, I'm looking at the video now to see if I can find a date. Give me a second. If it's the beginning of the year, it's literally older than I am. By a there couple you of go. Months. So, I mean, I wasn't even seeming at this point. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. It doesn't actually say, but from what I from what looking from what the com English commentary on the next match is, I would say from 1988, maybe late 87. It's so, true. I mean, I you know, I was born in September 1988, so. Hmm. Actually, no, I thought it would have been conceived by this point. Yeah, I mean, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Look, it's old. It's not the best match in the world. But I will have to say, now that you said it's Salvio Vega, it makes a lot more sense because they are two big-ish hosses kind of going at it. That's how yeah. they work it. Even though they're not massive, they're the same size, but it's not a technical match. It's very much a match you'd see... Um, Later on, WWE with um, it, it's very much a WWE match actually. Um, yeah, yeah. You know where they're they're exchanging holds and they're going back and forward, but they're not actually doing it that creative. It's more of a character, more of a character kind of thing to to get over. Uh, Super Black Ninja as I suppose I don't know who's really working. They're both really working as a heel here, and the only one that's a face is the referee really. But they're trying yeah. to get them over as uh, very much equal to each other. Um, mm. But it's a lot of lockups, uh, a lot of running to the ring, some strikes, and then it kind of goes towards the finish. It, it, it's not the most technical match in the world. I would say it's like the the, the least good match 
but it's very very interesting to see that where it started to where it went to and then how Muda must have been like well look I can't do this you know this is not this is not going to get me anywhere because it's very underwhelming yeah. Uh, but yeah I mean it, it's a cool starting place like we all got to start somewhere and this is obviously the genesis of hmm. the origin of McGillicuddy you know yeah I mean this is this is this is for the WWC World Television Championship, so it, it's fairly up the card. And TNT had been started around about the same time Musa did, but he was he's Puerto Rican. He was a homegrown kind of guy. He would go on to be like the next Carlos Colon. He would be the top guy in the promotion alongside Colon as a heel. Um, and interestingly, when when Muto went back to Japan as his first run as the Great Muta in 1992, TNT would be his tag team partner for a few tours. Uh, which are before he went to WWE uh, to become Savio Vega. But what was it before he was Savio Vega? Can you remember? I cannot. It's too warm. The great Muta impersonator, Quang. No way! Of there course! You go. Oh, <laughs> of course! Oh, now there's one you haven't heard for a while. Yeah, there you go. See, and who better to impersonate the great Muta than his own tag team partner? <laughs> I mean, it's less offensive now. Yes. I mean, it really is. He should have, like, opened with that and go, look, he's my mate. It's fine. <laughs> I have an Asian friend. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, it makes sense now. It's like, yes. <laughs> he was tagging. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel bad now. Now I feel worse for Muda. Everyone stole this gimmick. Oh, well, I mean, we'll get to something where, about, like, the origins of the Great Muta shortly. But sure. yes, you are right. You are right. Um, he he's he wasn't the first to do the things he did, but he was the first to do it as the whole package and make it a whole presentable package. Yeah. Our second match on the playlist is about a person I don't particularly like um, publicizing, which is Invader One. Right. Um, do you know the story behind Invader One and why I wouldn't like him? Uh, no, but I'm 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 doing a quick Google now. Uh, you will find out that he was the booker of WWC the night that Bruiser Brody was killed, and he was holding the knife when he died. Ah, uh, yes, of course, because it has, uh, yeah, it's you go to his Wikipedia, and it's it's there. The killing yes. of Bruiser Brody. Mm. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that kind of, yeah. So, well, here's the thing. Puerto Rico seems, seems to be a very dodgy, dodgy, dodgy place, and apparently this was very common, Yeah. Um, which doesn't um, make it right, but... No, That's I think the least surprising thing in the world. Brody was the straw that broke the camel's back. Like you before Brody, lots of people went. Right. Uh, and then after Brody, n- not many people went. <laughs> you know, it and was yeah. when, when, when Savio Vega started the IWC when he came out of WWE in the mid 90s. Um, Vince sent a load to the boys over to try and help him establish, you know, another Indian Puerto Rico just because. He didn't like Carlos Colon that much. And once they call he didn't like Carlos Colon, but he didn't like Invader One and what they were doing even there. So if Vince McMahon finds you morally abhorrent, <laughs> you're doing probably, something wrong. You, you, you've slipped off the moral coil of, uh, uh, of uh, moral standing, let's say. But uh, having said that, the guy was over like Grover with the Puerto Rico crowd. Right. And this TV title match ends up being a cage match. Under, as many fans of podcasts will know, my least favorite cage match rules, which is escape rules. But it does show an awful lot of growth, even in the few short months that he's been world television champion, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, he's much better in this. Like, he's moving around the ring a heck of a lot more. The match is much more of a match. Yeah. Um, I think he's working with Invader, uh, Invader 1 
a lot better. I have to say, I love this cage. I, I hate the escape the rules myself, personally. I think it's really dumb. Mm. But um, the match itself is really good. The cage looks fantastic. It actually looks better than a WWE cage. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's... It's it's the kind of wrestling you want to see. That that the ring is manky though. Can I just say that? I'm like, <laughs> clean it. It's, you know, that's how you get hepatitis. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like it's, 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 yeah, yeah. Puerto Rico not not high on the hygiene for wrestlers. No, um, but no. I mean hepatitis city. Like yes, yes. <laughs> Some bleach will go amiss. Not that oh. expensive. Bit of Dettol. But I'm particularly as well. There's. Uh, Again, the picture quality is not great, but there was some color. Looking at my notes, there was a little bit of color as well. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, was this just the way with WWC where all the lads got color and then bled everywhere? That was that was pretty much it. I mean, there was great. Two, so there let's was... let's cut each other and roll around in all the blood. <laughs> other. Yeah, and there was blood in this as well. Oh yeah, no, this, this 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 is HIV central. Obviously. Oh man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's I, oh, just it, I'm yeah. I mean, we we reviewed that show, Hot Night and By a Moon, like uh, a couple of years ago, didn't we? Yeah. And you could tell there was decent quality wrestling on those shows, but also an awful lot of blood. And the, this was the same kind of thing here. You know, it's kind of a big blow-off match. They used to get massive crowds back then. They still do, actually, to be honest. Not like as big as this, but they do love their wrestling in Puerto Rico. What they love heat and they love violence. And this is kind of that, really. What is it? But it's a good match. You know, yeah. it's not just violence for the sake of it. Like, there, there's not really that much nonsense that goes on in it. Like, it's no. it's a very paint-by-the-numbers, decent steel case match. Gets about a 7 out of 10. Yeah. And particularly it. for its time. Like, but... I don't know. I mean, the ending's a bit nonsensey, obviously. Yeah. But they kind of had to, because, you know, you weren't going to beat the booker, you know? <laughs> uh, but... But Muda comes out really well, you know. He he comes out, you know, he won. But so basically, the end comes where he does a super kick. Well, that's like a super kickish, kicks him out, and then he falls through the cage. Which I mean, that's why it was done. So it's kind of like the way to get out of. I suppose it's the only real way to kind of like have a screwy finish in the cage match, where yeah. no one really looks bad. I mean, WWE have done it. Um, I think that's the first Hell in the Cell was one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It you're was. Start, yeah, you're starting to see uh, lots of big bumps as well. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Moose is falling off the top rope and crouching himself on the top rope as they're trying to escape the cage. And yeah, Moose, very ahead of its time, really. Yeah, Muta bleeding a lot too, which becomes a signature of his career, um, ah, yeah. which, we, which we will watch later on in this particular playlist. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 um yeah, it's it's a bit of an oddity, but it's also kind of representative of where he is in his career. Mm. As well, I think as well. Also, you, on this playlist, you get the joy of Hugo Savanovich in Spanish and English. You do, you do. And what yeah. more could you want? <laughs> well, <laughs> I can answer that. And it was in the next match, Paul Heyman. With, indeed, Paul Heyman and Jim With, Ross. And Jim Ross. Paul <laughs> Heyman, like a great promo. We were like, oh man, that was really good. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> the next match is the from WCW in 1989. Which is when I started watching WCW um, on uh, ITV in the regions. After obviously we were starved of wrestling when World of Sport finished, and then about a year later we used to get about three o'clock in the morning there'd be um, uh, a WCW um, Power Hour or um, international show, basically their C shows, and yeah. it would be highlights of the TV tapings for an hour, and 
we used to change the aerial upstairs in the bedroom so you could get time tees and record because <laughs> we were Yorkshire <laughs> TV. So you'd like if you twisted the aerial just enough, you got a very grainy time tee. So you press record at like you get up at two o'clock in the morning or set the video for two o'clock in the morning, press record. And yeah, and we got we got loads of stuff. And of course it's it's still UCW in 1989. It's they're cooking, they're yeah. hot. It's, you know, it's, it's peak WCW. Yeah, yeah. It, this show opens with the you don't think I'm good enough, do you, Rick? promo, which is one of the greatest promos of wrestling history from Terry Funk. Yes, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, yeah, and which is still gives me shivers think, listening to it now, you know. And then we go to Paul Heyman and Jim Ross from uh, on commentary, and you're like, how does this guy that we've just seen in world class make out in? this arena you've got sting who's red hot hottest baby face in the world flair is full pomp and circumstance terry funk is the leader of your faction is arguably its best ever the steiner brothers the Freebirds, the road warriors all of this and then here mm. comes this japanese guy who just drops jaws because he's yeah. that good and he isn't he's more of a package now than when he was in in uh a, a year before in yeah, the caribbean he, he starts having the little outfits and everything like yeah, he's got the full the full package. And Gary Hart is his manager. Now, mm. Gary Hart was the manager of a wrestler in Dallas called the Great Kabuki, who used to blow mist and <laughs> had a full paint face paint and used all sorts of martial arts maneuvers, including nunchucks. Um, and he took that character, gave it to Kiyeji Muto, developed it as the Pearl of the Orient, the Great Muto. Oh, God. The package... <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. But it, it's WCW in 1989. Parental correctness isn't like, you know. <laughs> but I mean, it's, but not even, it's not even subtle. It's just like, we literally just stole this lad's gimmick. Yes. And gave it to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I well, mean, there's a bit of a payoff for that later. And we'll talk about that too. <laughs> I mean, but, I, you know, Muda here, just from the get-go, he is just killing your man in there who looks like just, he looks like a standard, like, great wrestler. From like yeah. 2K to 15 or something. <laughs> and uh, you can tell who the star is. And the whole crowd are like, who's this lad? Spitting the mist, you know? Um, but, I, I mean, it's really good. Like, it is, it is. you know, I'm being hyperbolic and joking, obviously. But the match itself is actually, when it gets going, it's it's very, very good. I mean, Muda, he's moving around the ring a hell of a lot more. He's more what you'd expect someone his size to be. Um, to be like... WCW peak of its run. It's funny because we're just getting on, in, on the rewind. We're just finishing the end of WCW, so yeah. we're watching garbage tier nonsense. Um, so to see this, this was a treat. Yeah, this is the, this is the, Ranger Ross was jobber to the stars basically. Oh yeah, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he was he was in a faction with Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert, who were Tommy was obviously on the downhill slide of his days in Atlanta and. Eddie wasn't anywhere near really where he should have been. Um, and, you know, Ranger Ross actually was an, spent more time in all Japan than he did in WCW. This was kind of his weekend job. <laughs> and, like, you watch him in all Japan, and there's this fire-breathing former army ranger that can do anything. And then you watch him in this, and you're like, what? <laughs> um, and I see I, the first main event of one of those WCW shows I saw was the great Muta versus Ranger Ross. It wasn't this match, but it was another one. But you're in at Hotlanta GA. It's the center stage. It's, it's Nick Patrick as referee. It's Jim Ross. It's Paul Heyman. It's WC fucking W. Yeah. And, you know, it's the center stage was always an odd crowd because 
They had, they love their wrestling because they got to see free wrestling as much as they wanted to, sometimes more than anyone should ever watch. Yep. And um, there was a lot of, especially you listen to the younger males in the audience, they really connected with Muta and they really liked him. And, oh, yeah. Because it, like, I mean, yeah. it, the thing about Muta, though, that moonsault that he does, and yeah. like it consistently, he is mm. no way near him. Anyone. Yeah. I'm like, and I never noticed that before. I'm like, Oh, you're really bad at the moonsault. But <laughs> then again, this is 1989. And it's the first time a lot of people have seen that. Yeah. Because it was around, well, it'd be, it would be before WCW did its madness. Like the first time it did its madness where the band gone off the top rope. Yeah. So, I mean, watching that and then going over to WWE as a Westerner, you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so much better you know than that because it's so different like there was nobody who would be doing there would be no mood out there right so i mean yeah. obviously he was, he was connecting with, with people because he was you know the whole package really at that stage but yeah. jesus that moonsault is um it He's, does get better yeah i mean it i mean real bad i mean the, the moonsault wasn't i mean gory guerrero i think was the first person to do a moonsault like as we know it today the standing moonsault but the moonsault press, which is really what he perfected, and really what damaged his knees, because because he went for impact, your knees hit <laughs> his first. His knees, yeah, he hit, yeah, knee first. <laughs> yeah, knee first. Consistently, so, yeah. So you're blown, you're blown out your knees every time you do it. Exactly. You know, so it's like that's really what's caused him his long term health issues. But it's he, the way he landed it was really the key thing. You know, he he did it for impact. And Here. What's a dragon spirit match? I don't know. They go on about it, but it's what the match that he beats Sting for. What, what is it? I mean, they don't explain what it is. They just no, keep bringing they, it up. And you're they like, don't even know what it is. <laughs> uh, I'm going to look it I up. I was hoping you would know. Match. I was like, I don't know. The I only person who know this is going to be James. And I'm disappointed. Versus, oh, here we go. Sting versus. Feature displeasure at match. James, people. All right, okay. displeasure. He should know. Uh, let's see, other matches, uh, 89, Great Spirit Singles, my glory days, oh, well, that's another card, it says here, right, okay, so this was at Baltimore Arena, it's one to 12,500 people. Jesus. That was, and the, the, that was Terry Funk versus Ric Flair, that was the main event, and Keir, yeah, it was sense. Sting with Eddie Gilbert, um, they, they didn't even, like, like do it, <laughs> it's, just, it's just NWA World Television title, like, it was classic WCW. We'll, we'll say one thing and another thing will happen. To be fair, that, I don't mind that so much because well, I built up a tolerance to it, obviously, from watching 2001 WCW, but still, that's annoying. Yes. Boo, WCW, boo. <laughs> uh, Lex Luger versus Ricky Steamboat on the undercar, by the way, for that. I couldn't, think what, I couldn't imagine anything worse than Ricky Steamboat versus Lex Luger for Ricky Steamboat. Oh, you can. <laughs> you can listen to the rewind this week. <laughs> that show sin is his. Oh, it does have two people. Break, it does have um, Lex Luger breaking his knees. It's the funniest thing ever. Doesn't have. Doesn't it have Cade? Sorry, Sid Vicious. Yes, yeah, Sid breaking his leg. It doesn't have Sid. Isn't Muto on that card? Because he was he, signed with WCW at that time. Uh, yes, and the Young Dragons are on it as well. All right. Cool. 
That's why I thought uh, you picked this. I, I thought it was like a perfect crossover. It was a, it was a nice. It was just a nice coincidence. Ah, there we go. We we'll pretend like we planned it because we're professionals. Yes, of course we did. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> it, it was nothing to do with mood to retiring at all. Uh, no, nothing at all. <laughs> it was just perfect synchronicity. Yes, perfect planning. Yes. So uh, next up, we have um, an intriguing match between Keiji Muto as, as the Great Muta, accompanied by Gary Hart yes. and the Dragon Master. Uh, as he goes up against the then six-time world heavyweight champion nature boy Ric Flair, again in the center stage in Atlanta. Uh, Ric Flair on his face run after turning babyface against Ricky Steamboat the previous year. Mm. Uh, in, in a bizarre turn of events where he started off a feud as a heel, wrestled normally and ended up as a babyface because of Terry Funk really at the end of the feud. Yeah. Um, there is some corking haircuts in this crowd. There is bubble perms aplenty, <laughs> mullets, Oh, yeah, everyone's it, hair is badness. It, it's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful sight to see. Yeah, everyone's um, hair is badness. Is really <laughs> the best the best person with the hair is Gary because he doesn't have any. <laughs> um, who's the referee? Oh, Tommy Young. Uh, again, uh, the World Heavyweight Championship is raised, but it is not a World Championship match, according to the commentators. <laughs> Which was weird. I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. but they don't think it is. But Tommy Young's holding the belt up, and um, Tommy Young's like God. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, Muda gets a title shot? What? Okay. I wish Tommy Young did the 50th anniversary show of, of uh, the NWA a couple of years ago. I think it was it was Nick Aldis in the main event. And like he was only supposed to like just like show the belt off or something like that. But he basically just took over. Mm. And it's, it's freaking Tommy Young. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Flair versus Muta with the Dragon Master. Do you know who the Dragon Master is? No. Okay, the Dragon Master was a wrestler called Kendo Nagasaki. Not that Kendo Nagasaki, the right. Kendo Nagasaki, who had major connections in Japan, was a big star in Japan pro wrestling, and did his excursion in the dungeon where he trained one young wrestler called Bret Hart. Interesting. Intriguing, isn't it? Yes, and this was really his biggest run in North America. Um, he went on to found BJW, the deathmatch promotion in Japan. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he wouldn't get a job, <laughs> couldn't get a job in all Japan pro wrestling when he came back, basically. Um, but he wanted to do something different with his career, and certainly, you know, we, me and Dave uh, actually uh, reviewed one of his matches, the Piranha Death match with um, I can't remember who was wrestling, but they, they, you know, that loser is the one who's put in a in a fish tank full of piranhas. Real piranhas. <laughs> Real piranhas. Oh, okay. That's yeah. a bit much, but still. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to this match. Muta and Flair. Muta has grown out his mullet to epic proportions. It's a uh, hell of a mullet, though, I have to say. It it's is. It's a corker. Yeah, it's a good um, look. Yes. And and it, it's kind of a standard Flair match in one sense of the time. That's why I hate it. I know it's why you... No, no, I know you're not a particular fan of Slick Rick, but nope. it's, it's the babyface version of the standard Flair match. Oh, I hate it so much. <laughs> no, I hate Ric Flair I really do and I mean I hate his son more and I hate his daughter even more than that um, I, I don't did, mind Charlotte she's alright she just needs to go away I think that, I think that's the trouble is like <laughs> she, she, needs she, she, need, she needs to go I think she needs to go to AEW for WWE's sake yeah yeah that's the problem like, <laughs> she's brilliant but then you're like you, you need to leave yeah <laughs> you need to go, go away <laughs> yeah so you need to you need to go you, you need to go like sit on a beach in florida for about six months <laughs> and they come back and you'd be around. but i mean yeah that's the problem and it's the problem rick flair as well like his matches are the same match 
yeah. over and over and over again. And I mean, look, it wasn't a bad match. I mean, look, some people are probably pulling their hair out going, pulling their 80s perm out going, oh my God, Ric Flair, the best <laughs> ever. It's like, nah, not really. I mean, the next match with Aaron Anderson so much better. Aaron's yeah. the real, like, Aaron's the real talent in that group. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, Aaron is, Aaron's fucking great. Um, but, you know, this, like, Muda looked, uh, this was, like, proper Muda, right? This is when he yeah. started seeing him being himself properly, like, with the red and all that kind of stuff. And it would be the WCW look. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Muda has a, it's a great showing for him. It, it's very screwy. I think it's screwy at the end because maybe they thought it was a title match. I don't know. Let us know. Was it, it, it a title match? It, 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 well, I, 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 I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but it, I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, versus the Great Musa. Um, it was kind of like the, the big one was at Starcade 1989, which Future Shot, which was the, yeah. the singles tournament. Um, yeah. And for um, you know um, the points-based singles tournament, um, yeah. there's been loads of Muto other matches. Let's see, because there's plenty of them. Um, I mean, to do CW and Anderson, it's not listed because it'd been a TV taping, so it wouldn't have got listed and it wasn't a big enough show. Right. Unfortunately. But it was a really, really good match. And I think uh, yeah. you know, Mudo is, is obviously wrestling here as a heel because it's WCW. Yes, it's, um, it's the JTEX Corporation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, look, it, it's, if you're looking for um, top tier WCW stuff, you can definitely watch this, and you can you can see like Ric Flair in his in his in his heyday. You know, as you said, six time world champion at this point. Yeah. But um, if you hate Ric Flair, this is like one of the worst matches you'll watch. <laughs> it, it's got everything you want from WCW at this particular point. It's Tommy Young, it's Paul Dangerously, it's Jim Ross, it's it's peak Southern wrestling. Yeah, in, in its, that's exactly in its what it purest is. Purest yeah. form. Yeah, and Muto just does that so well. You know, and there's yeah. obviously. As you watch the Japanese stuff, you can see the influence that Flair has on his style, his pacing, his delivery and stuff. You know, because Flair's not fast by any stretch of the imagination. No. That's part of his charm is the fact that, you know, you know what he's going to do. It's how he does it. That's the, the the thing for those that like him, unlike you. Uh, <laughs> um, hey, look, if you spent most of your life watching WCW and then watching TNA and then watching, you know, you'd hate it too. <laughs> I mean, it's the same guy over and over again. Doing the exact yeah. same thing over and over again, being more annoying and being older and bleeding everywhere. Like he's even bleed. I was yeah. expecting blood. I was like, huh, someone's gonna touch. This is probably before he touched his head and blood came out. Yes, this is true. And of course, you've got you've got Gary Hart, arguably yeah. certainly the best manager of the South. He was the Southern equivalent of Bobby Heenan. You mm. know, probably the best mind in wrestling in the eighties outside of Vince McMahon. You know, fair. I I you can't believe he was the talent booker for the whole of the southwest so every promotion in the southwest in the nwa no way if they, if they wanted an nwa champion they had to go through him gary hart he was the lead booker of florida and the lead booker of texas uh, dallas and the lead booker of houston at the same time wow and on tv managing in those three territories at the same time and then and then started working for uh carolinas as well you know he was he was all over the place and um, his ability, he was the producer of the Dallas TV show, which was the cutting, uh, cutting edge wrestling show of the time, Von Erickson, the Freebirds and all of that stuff. And he said, it's simple. You get some young athletic guys that work hard and you put them in front of a camera and you do it with some class. And that's Scott. That's all you need to do. <laughs> that's Scott. 
that's it and that's that's this and that's kind of what WCW was doing at this particular point and Muta fits into that perfectly you've got everything in this match that Muta does as far as signature moves you've got the power drive elbow you've got the uh I can't remember what they call it the the, the flailing elbow the, the 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 power drive elbow to the floor you've got the backflip elbow in the corner you've got the reverse Indian death lock with a bridge there's all sorts of things he pulls out in this match that you go that's Muta. That's mm. that's that's what you're what, what you watch Muta for, and you know the delivery, the pacing, the, the expressions are just. He's managed to get this character to just exactly where he wants it to be to be able to get the most out of it for the audience. Exactly. Mm. Um, the next match we've got on the playlist is uh, against Dan Anderson, as Dara said a second ago, and it's for the WCW Television Championship. He'd beaten Sting. Uh, the Great American Bash, I think it was, uh, for the the TV title. He was undefeated, um, and him and Sting would have an interesting back and forth in his career. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't find any of those matches um, for this particular particular show because they're kind of tied up with WWE and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And like we said, we want to try and make it as free as possible yeah. <laughs> for everybody to enjoy. But this is a match I always wanted to see and never really got a chance to see properly until yesterday because it was kind of the build-up of the stuff I watched in 1989 was based around the Horseman versus the JTEX Corporation. Yeah. And this was the end of the JTEX Corporation as Gary Hart left WCW. The JTEX Corporation fell apart and the four horsemen turned heel on Sting. Yeah. Just creating the narrative that went onward and onward for the next 20 years. Um, but to do to get Muta out of WCW and off to Japan where he needed to return to because they needed him bad by this point. Um, they had to get the TV title off of him. I knew better than Double A Arn Anderson. And this is a classy wrestling match. It is. This it is, is fantastic. Yeah. It, it, it's it's one of the best old school wrestling matches you can see. Yeah. Um, but that's not a knock. It has the Southern style with Aaron Anderson, who exemplifies all WCW. Muda, who, as you said, he pulls out phenomenal. His bridging technique is incredible. Bridges everywhere. Submissions that I've never seen before. Yeah. Him using. And then, the you know, the, it's annoying because the crowd doesn't really seem into it at certain points. You're like, yeah, what's wrong? And then they kind of do. But again, they're obviously, when Muda's doing incredible stuff, they're still obviously cheering for Aaron. Mm. So I mean it makes sense, right? It's it's still real to them, right? Yeah. Um the finish, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the finish. Mm. But um the lead up to it was pretty good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean this this match builds around the fact that um Gary Hart's deserted the JTEX Corporation. Yeah. Because there've been some financial misdealings because Terry Funk had turned babyface after his run after his match with Rick Flair. Mm. Uh, the submission match in Troy, New York, where Funk had to quit and retired from wrestling. <laughs> um, first time. <laughs> but, oh, no, 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 that was at least the second time because the first time okay. he retired was in old Japan in 1982. Oh, well. So 82 or 83. You know that, you've seen that forever promo. Yeah. So what you're saying is, I will love the Japanese fans forever, 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 which of course Rocky Romero's turned into the forever clotheslines. Uh, but, um, but the 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 actual this this was his second official loser leave town type retirement, um, mm. and he'd exposed um, Gary Hart as a as a, as being corrupt basically, because you know 
wrestling managers. They're all they're all corrupt. Man. Yeah. Um, that's basically that was basically the deal. And the the JTEX Corporation uh, left Buzz Sawyer in charge, the ideal like level-headed human being. <laughs> Um, in the character wise and to be fair Buzz wasn't particularly level headed generally Um, uh, notably one of his most famous Matt Bourne uh, sorry uh, Buzz Sawyer stories is uh, The Undertaker Mark Mark Calloway actually asked him Buzz Sawyer to train him and paid him some money and when he turned up at his house to start training Buzz had moved (laughs) (laughs) what a nice guy yeah he's just Classic. Horrible. He's like his finisher used to be he would take somebody up in a body slam position and climb the ropes and then just drop them on the the turnbuckle stanchion. Oh god. Gut first. That's not a finisher, that's attempted murder. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like no, like there was um I, I think it was the either the Fantastics or I shoot interview with the the Bushwhackers when they were the Sheep Herders, so they were a bit more serious team in their NWA days, and they they were in the Crockett Cup and they were wrestling uh, Maniac Matt uh, Maniac Matt Bourne and and Buzz Sawyer, and he said I don't know what them two were on. <laughs> it was like wrestling a tiger by the tail. We couldn't do anything with them because <laughs> they, they were just like wow. How did they just do that? Well, yeah. Anyway, uh, but this match was just, it just, yeah, exemplified that that particular era of WCW where they were kind of like finding a direction with Sting to go. They were kind of, they've got the horseman back and rolling again. So things were kind of going to look up money wise. Arn Anderson's a killer baby face. I know he spent oh, yeah. most of his life as a career, as a heel. But one of the reasons why he was so good as Cody's manager in AEW is because he just knows the right things to say at the right time. Yeah, and and in the same in a wrestling match, work babyface or heel, he's probably a more natural heel, but he knows exactly what to do to make a crowd pop whenever he needs him to. And the crowd is into this the entire time. Yeah, that's it. Which you is know. great. Here, um, yeah. So, I did this end a feud? Was this like the end of it for them? This was or? this was this was it, the end of it for the JTEX Corporation. Really, uh, Muta went off to Japan after this. So he let his contract run out. Um, I understand he was difficult to work with. <laughs> and Nagasaki went back to Japan for war, uh, which is Jinichiro Tenryu's promotion. Um, right. Tenryu was getting ready to leave All Japan Pro Wrestling, what was considered the first exodus of All Japan Pro Wrestling, where he took a load of AJPW stars and created, uh, first of all, it was uh, Super World Sports and then uh, Wrestling and Romance. So this is why they... So this is why they took the belt off him. Uh, this is basically it. Is New Japan needed him back because they they were kind of like concerned that Fujinami and Chosu and Inoki had kind of run their course, right? And they wanted something new. And he, the Great Muta was a big star in Japan. The WCW, New Japan had this talent swap deal with WCW, and they've been yeah. showing his promos. If you look at the, yeah, it isn't on this playlist, but if you can find the first promo of the great Muta on his return to Japan. It's like they spent like half a million on the TV shoot for it. Holy it's just hell. like amazing. You know, it's like they're they're up in Mount Fuji and doing these mythical shots and there's special effects everywhere and it just looks incredible. You know well, I mean that that makes sense, right? It's yeah. the, like it's the great Muta. You know, I yeah. mean like it's he's the most you know he's the most marketable um yeah I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's probably one of the most uh, marketable stars from japan 
in. Yeah. I think, yeah, you know? I think I think he would be... Except for Oscar, actually. Correct. Sorry, Oscar. Yeah, would I would say, yeah, I would yeah. agree with you. I think Oscar, like in the modern era, Oscar's the only person who's got close. Yeah. And it, it is funny because it's like, obviously, you, cattle mutilation. There you go. Probably the earliest cattle. I'm just watching the while, while we're talking. I've just got it in yeah. the background. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I know. There's, 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 yeah. Yeah, cattle mutilation. Hey, look at that. There you go. Dragon. He's, that's where you got it from. <laughs> actually, it's funny that I, I totally forgot to mention her. Oscar pretty much stole a lot of the Grey Mooders gimmick as well. True, but I think that's the that's the thing is that uh, a lot of Japanese wrestlers have kind of called themselves. Well, who's the, the two biggest Japanese stars? Probably the Great Kabuki and the Great Musa. What yeah. did they do? They spat mist. They were mythical. They were uh, they were exotic. They were you know not your average everyday wrestlers. They were doing something very different. And I think a lot of people clued in on that. But someone did make a good point on Twitter, like the difference between Kana, who Asuka was in Japan and Asuka is very little the only thing that she's really changed is she wears shoes now (laughs) well I mean it always (laughs) makes me uncomfortable when I see a wrestler without boots yeah she always used to wrestle barefoot because she wasn't comfortable wrestling in shoes because she's a bit of a shooter and she liked the grip on the mat and stuff Uh, and then I think um I think Miro rolled his angle rope rolled his angle rolled his ankle um whilst wrestling barefoot and after that they insisted to rewear boots so she yeah. wore them kind of like she wears them kind of like sock things that are kind of like half shoes and half socks um, to to get around that. But yeah, um, yeah. The, the only time I saw her wrestling shoes was funny enough when she was tagging with Tajiri in the Crash promotion, and they were over, they had a barbed wire board match with another intergender couple, and she wore shoes then because obviously in a barbed wire board match you want feet that are covered in shoes. Yeah, as much clothes as possible in barbed wire. <laughs> Which apparently is not the way you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go out with as little clothes as possible. Yes, the well, the, the Anita um, uh, kind of formula of wearing a white singlet to make sure you can see your bleeding properly. Yeah, that's the whole point. You're <laughs> supposed to see the blood. <laughs> but yes. Um, but yeah, so this was kind of the end of Muta's run in North America before he went to Japan. Um where he was exceptionally successful, yes. arguably one of the biggest, certainly in the amount of people in the building. I would argue at the time all Japan pro wrestling were making more money because mm. Baba was charging exorbitant amounts for tickets, but he knew they'd sell out. So yeah. it wasn't they would they were doing Budokan Hall, but they were doing like million dollar gates at Budokan Hall every time once a month. Mm. Uh, whereas New Japan went for numbers instead. So they were putting 50,000 in the Tokyo Dome, but they weren't making probably as much money as Baba was in Budokan Hall, even though there was 40,000 more people in the building. But it's funny you mention it as well, because like yeah. the, the next the next match um, kind of feeds into that, because it's it's with like a, a person who I would associate New Japan with who isn't Japanese. Yeah. And that's Vader. Like mm. Vader's greatest run. Like it sucks because when you're a kid, or when I was a kid a long time ago, um, you'd hear Vader and you watch WWE and then his run was kind of flat and you're like, ah, yeah, that sucked. And then when you're older, you're like, he starts smarting up. You're like, oh, his run actually was supposed to be in, was in Japan. So even when you're yeah. watching WCW, it's kind of flat as well. But when you see Japan, you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is where he did all of his work. This is where his career was, you know? Yeah. So it's- I was very excited to see this. Yeah, this is um, the G1 Climax tournament of 91, I think. Right. Uh, it's at the Fikoka Dome, which they've just done a big show there, which is when the Bullet Club reunited uh, and kicked uh, Gorilla's Destiny out a couple of months ago. 
Um, and this is Kiyeji Muto, not the great Muto, um, as he came back to Japan and started wrestling under his own persona and under the great Muto persona as well, swapping mm. and changing. The interesting thing is if he won a championship as the great Muto, he would stay as the great Muto until he lost the championship. Whereas, and similarly, if he won as Kiyeji Muto, then he'd, he'd stay with Kiyeji Muto until he lost the championship. Well, yeah, because he'd, he'd, he'd be the champion, you know? You, you yeah. Can't, you can't break kayfabe. No, exactly. Um, even though the fans know that Kiyeji Muto is the great Muto. But it's something you can play with, which they did play with much later. Um, <laughs> the awkwardness would be if they booked the match against themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, that never happened. Which, which um, I mean, they probably could have done. Like, you could have... I mean, there's yeah. an angle right there where you're like, hey... We've never seen you in the same place at the same time. True. Very true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Big Van Vader. Um, I've told this story many times before, but it's worth bearing in mind again. Do you know who the other person who could have been Big Van Vader was? Who? Jim Helwig, the Ultimate Warrior. Ah, uh, no. No, 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 no. That wouldn't have been good. <laughs> no, no. It wouldn't work, would it? It'd just been no. like... Oh. Vader, Vader is so much better <laughs> in every way. I mean, uh, I, I don't think Helwig could actually, like, Wrestle nearly as good as Vader could. No, Big Leon was, he was the man at yeah. this particular point. You really know? was, yeah. Yeah, he was, um, he was just, yeah, he was just on a different planet, really. And that was kind of the point of that character. And It's a know. very, very, very physical match. Like, like, yeah, like it's, we've seen the cage, like, I think this is more violent than the cage match. Yeah, I think so. And it, it, it partly because it's Vader, because everything yeah. he does hurts. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Even the quality, look, the, the quality, the video quality isn't great. Uh, and even still, you're like he is lettering him out. Like, yeah, I mean, this is um, this is '88, and this is before. Sorry, this '91. This is before the days. Like, it's the G1 climax going on now. I've watched two G1 climax shows already this weekend. The whole show, from like the opening bell to everything else. So mm. back then, though, they didn't have TV to do that. So this is a handheld up in the rafters of the Fukuoka Dome. Oh, that makes sense. Well, it's good, yeah, good, good. Uh... Fair play, good, look. Good coverage for just being, you know, sat there with a the handheld uh, VHS. Yeah. Camera. How well, I mean, the hell did he manage to, like, you know, this big lump of plastic on his ear? No one noticed. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing with it is, it's like this was in Japan, and Japanese electronics are always like phenomenal. So, yeah, I and mean, that's true. why the quality was so good. But and it probably was smaller as well. But maybe they just didn't care. They're like, well, somebody needs to shoot it. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, but it's and it it for a house show, it's exceptional because mm. like. You know, even like Japanese house shows now, they're not the full blood and gore you would normally see in like a New Japan main event. Like people say, oh, like you New Japan and Old Japan and now they have such these, this tough style all the time. They're like, yeah, but they don't wrestle like that on a two week tour. They'll maybe have one match like that or maybe every other tour. Yeah. But it's six man tags and fun, lighthearted stuff the rest of the tour. But this is not that. This is no. this is full bore. There's um, a great, there's a great sequence when they do go outside, and yeah. uh, uh, Muda goes and does like a a cartwheel flip into the barricade. Yeah, and just breaks the barricade, puts Vader through the barricade. You're like, <laughs> you're like, you're like, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like it's really, really, really ahead of its time. Like I know I'm gonna, I know I've said that before, but I mean, like, it, if you're going to steal from someone, you're stealing from them for a reason. Yeah. Um, and you could see what here. It's brilliant. It is. I mean, like. Big Leon was wrestling everywhere at this particular point. He was a big star in Germany for Otto Vance in Austria. Um, and Otto's belief was, you know, everything's a shoot because you've got to make it look real. Because Otto was about as big as Vader. And they used to hammer each other. <laughs> <I> <laughs> oh, first, yeah. 
First match I saw with Otto Vance versus Big Van Vader. Vader was bleeding from one ear after two rounds because <laughs> they were doing rounds then. It was, uh, you know, 15, five minute, 15, three minute rounds. <laughs> like, um, Lord, Lord Mountbatten, um, yeah, Mountbatten rules or Matt Evans rules. That's it. 15, three minutes rounds for the CWA World Super Heavyweight Championship. And yeah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> These two big lads hammering each other for, for 15 minutes. Oh, <laughs> it was like, good God. And um, yeah, Vader was bleeding from one ear. Because <laughs> like, Otto just, was just as wild as, as Leon was. He just hit people really hard. That's what he did. Yeah. And you could see, you know, he was big star in Mexico at the time. He was UWA heavyweight champion at the time when he held this belt as well. Mm. Um, I'm talking those forearms he's throwing in on Mutra just at the minute. It's just like, Good God, why don't you just go trying to send him deaf? The only thing about it is, like, as as hard-hitting as the match was, the ending was kind of... What? Yeah, I mean, it was a good, like, reversal, but it's like a (laughs) roll-up. Really? Yeah. You you cleaved it up for a roll-up? And then, uh, okay, right, another thing, right? So last time we we did the show, you explained why Mm. you do the streamers, right? Yeah. What do they? What are they throwing at the end? They're throwing. Are they seats? The, they're the seats. So it's um, they're like the bleachers in the building. It might have been Sumo Hall actually. Thinking about it, maybe not Fukokodam. No, I think it is Sumo Hall. In which case, it's Sumo Hall. They they have bleachers and they have a, a little pad that they sit on. And I'm assuming they're not allowed to do that, right? No, they're doing it in joy. The, the Vader, got, Vader was that hated. They loved it, and they started throwing the seats there uh, at, at the, the ring in, but, in celebration. <laughs> okay, that's a weird one. Wrestling, um, promo- wrestling promotions have been kicked out of Sumo Hall for doing something. <laughs> no, I mean, um, I don't, no, because I get the streamers, and there were streamers at, at the end of it. See, yeah. I, I thought they were sad, and then they were clapping, and I'm like... No, huh? no, that, that, okay. was, that was a great moment of joy because the big monster Vader had been beaten. Yeah, but I... Uh, like. To me, throwing your seats, throwing stuff into the ring at someone, yeah. that's a bad thing. Yes, no, I understand with you, but I think you're you're thinking of like the ECW arena where they threw actual metal chairs. Yeah, that's, that was, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was like. Are you, trying, are you trying to kill Muda? Is that what's going on? But okay, fair enough. Yeah, that, that's, that's been... Uh, that there, makes sense. There was plenty... Um, they, they, they did a show at Sumo Hall. They do the G1 Climax final at Sumo Hall every year. Right. Um, and they did joke about it last year. It's like, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes... Coach Ribushi goes to the balcony and does a moonsault and we can't come back. And sometimes <laughs> this is, this is people throw all the seats in the ring and then, then we're not allowed here again. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, when Koto Ribushi worked for DDT, he was told not to do a moonsault off the balcony. But it's Koto Ribushi, so he did a moonsault off the balcony. Yeah. And DDT were not allowed back for five years. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is just insane. Uh, just like in stiffness alone. Yeah, you know, and but Muto, as you can see, is a different animal compared to the great Muto, who's really who we've seen since the beginning of this playlist because Super yeah. Ninja was really great Muto's kind of the blueprint for him. But Muto yeah. is a much more athletic kind of like straight up fighter than Muto, yeah. who's obviously a heel anyway. Yeah, no, so. absolutely. That's like that is the big difference. Yeah, you know, he's he, his style is different enough to the point that you're like, okay, you could cheer this. It's kind of like um. But actually, it's not kind of a hundred percent is. Where when Finn wrestles as Finn wrestles as Demon. Yeah, yeah, 
And you can um, see there's probably a large influence on him doing that, I think, as well. Oh, I 100% believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if I ever run into him in Dublin, because he's in Dublin all the time, I'll ask him. But, uh, yeah, like, I think that is, there you go. That, that That's where you're seeing it there. Even, at, you know, someone who isn't Japanese, but was in Japan for so long. That, who, went, who went to the same dojo. Who absolutely. Would have, you know, Jushin Liger in his ear about stuff all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I mean, Tiger Hattori and... Yeah, but it works because I mean, when you're when you're watching the two different matches, and again, even the next match we're talking when we talk mm. about where he's back being the great Muda, it's like you're watching someone completely different, and you would buy that it is someone completely different, which is yeah. weird, um, because it's not it it's less grounded. He cheats an awful lot, like the next match, is really <laughs> cheap, like literally. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. You're gonna tell me if the rules it's okay to letter someone out with weapons, but I mean the next match, you know, has all that. But this match with Vader, you'd never see him do that. You know, it's like the last thing he'd want to do in the world. No, no, I've got to beat the guy within the rules. That's, that's I'm a hontai. I'm I'm a I'm a noble baby fix, one of the three musketeers. Yeah, literally. And, yeah. and you're just like and then you go to the next match and it's like, Well, I'm gonna spit in your face, I'm gonna hit you with this chair which looks really bad, and I'm gonna beat you to death with this belt. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like okay, we're doing it. different people. It's it's actually really cool. Yes, let us move on, why don't we? This is the great Kabuki versus the great Muta, father versus son, as it was billed as in Japan. Yes. Um and I, I, I love the little video package. Yeah, it, and it's then, really cool. And they're both wearing the little outfits. Uh the great kabuki looks like, you know, the what's it? That 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 Pixar movie with with the panda. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, red panda or torn in red, I think it's called. That's a, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what I like to think. I'm like, you don't look very tough, but I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Oh, how wrong you were! How wrong I was! I was not. Expect- I was just like, well, okay. Uh, Muda looks awesome, though. I think it's just it's such a cool, like eerie look that he has, and like this is a bigger arena. That obviously there's it's shot professionally so that helps um <laughs> but i mean it's cool it's very very good and um I, I i wasn't expecting the level of like violence in this one genuinely uh, yeah um uh, you know but it's great the first time i saw the great kabuki was in i think it would have been dallas who was being managed by gary hart i oh. also saw him in uh, it would have been managed by number one paul jones in Jim Crockett promotions when he was having a feud with the Boogie Woogie Man over the WC or, or become the WCW World Television Championship. Yeah. So that was the NWA World Television Championship at the time. So there was a lot of connections between him and Muta over that championship that we saw him win, mm. and also uh, oh, lose to Arn Anderson, but he was champion. There was the, the very much the level of father and son like character uh, development, shall we mm. say. Um, and uh, it was funny what you said about Asuka, um, like spray mist and stuff. Someone complained to um, Rosemary from Impact Wrestling that Asuka's stolen your gimmick. And she went, nah. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't stolen my gimmick. There's loads of us who've done this. And I, I stole the mood as good. I saw there was a picture that I found, which I posted in the, which was the great mood to the great Kabuki and Tajiri tagging together in the mm-hmm. late 90s and all blowing mist together at the same time, which is just oh, a cool okay. picture. 
I mean, yeah, it's just like it's a thing, you know. It's like yeah, you can reinvent the wheel or you can pay homage and and kind of like wrestling is weird. It, it has like its own genres and characters and prototypes. Eventually, you're gonna do this. It's like you know, you're a guitar player. Yeah. Eventually, everything sounds like Metallica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything, you know yeah you could you could yeah you could argue that like you know every guitarist since 1976 has been trying to be like eddie van halen but the know? thing about it is it's like you write a song and then at a certain point it's like oh that sounds like something else because it's only so good. many chords you know and yeah. i mean like it's just wrestling's going to the same there's only so many characters he can be and um like this one's just really successful it's really yeah. cool you know and yeah. but i have to say a big fan of the great kabuki in this um what i love about this match specifically is he bleeds the best blood I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like the best blade job ever. Because it, it's like, it's not like, he, whatever he cuts, it just pisses onto his chest. And you're like, oh man, that's really manky looking. You know? <laughs> and, and Terrifying. Cuts, yeah, it's just like, whoa, you're, you should probably end this match. And, and then he continues on. And about five minutes later, he opens up Muda, who is already wearing like red yeah. face paint. And then he's pissing blood, and you're like, oh my god, these guys are killing each other. And it's just, it's like, yeah, there's weapon shots and stuff in it as well, but it's the slow rest holes, or some yeah. rest spots, where they're just opening the wound and biting at one point, which is yeah. manky. And I'm like, oh, hepatitis. <laughs> you know? It's just like... It's just, well, yeah, they didn't really, you know, they were a bit more open to the idea of blood in Japan at the time. You know, it's the 80- blood is fine, but like, biting some lad who's bleeding no, already is yeah. weird <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it it is just so violent it's so violent but it's like so violent it's, and it's like and it's like you know around the same time you've got fmw kicking off and yeah they haven't got to the full-on stages yet but they're already having barbed wire no rope barbed wire matches right and that's not as violent as this you took the words out of my mouth i was actually gonna yeah. say that yeah. yeah it's horribly violent but it's not yeah. as violent as this because these two really look like they mean each other no like look uh, the difference there is a, a barbed wire ma- uh, match right yeah of course there's gonna be blood you're wrestling a barbed wire it's like wrestling with glass that yeah. just comes in these lads are opening each other <laughs> up there's a difference you know, like, like yeah. where Muda picks up a chair, and it's not a folding chair; it's a fucking chair. To sit in. <laughs> you just hit them with it, and you're like, "Oh my god, what are you doing?" Yeah, uh, it, it, it's like I'm just watching the opening of the match. First move, they ref bump Red Shoes Uno out the way. <laughs> Sorry, Red Shoes Uno out of the way, and then um, Muda attacks Kabuki with a belt, and that's where Kabuki starts bleeding. Yeah, and then Red Shoes gets gets himself back up on his feet, and um, uh, and Kabuki's like willing the blood out of his forehead. Yeah, <laughs> to make it so, cooler. <laughs> so my so my question here is right. Yeah. So the ref so there's a lot of ref bumps in this right, and the yeah. referee gets assaulted. Yeah. Near the end. Was that okay? No. Well, Red Shoes is known to have a long whistle, as Kevin Kelly calls it, because he's still the top. Even like 25 years later, he's still the top referee for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was the second right. top. <laughs> you know Shooter Imano? Yeah. That's his dad. He's he's his dad. Oh, no way. Yeah. So the thing is, he's called Red Shoes Uno because obviously he wears red shoes. Yeah. But he's called Red Shoes Uno because he started off in All Japan Pro Wrestling. Right. And Giant Baba kept forgetting his name. That's so cool. he'd call him Uno. So he was Uno because Giant Baba's never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
because of course he's not. Um, so he became Red Shoes, you know, but he's known to have a long whistle. And that's been part of his characterization as a referee throughout his career. So he does let things slide if it's a big match. And this was an IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match. It does not get any bigger than this. So he wasn't going to let it, he wasn't going to disqualify any, anybody unless it got really serious, like broken arm serious. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, it, Red Shoes lets things go. And like, one of the things that used to drive Jim Ross nuts when he was a year, when he was uh, the New Japan commentator was the fact that Red Shoes would just not rein people in because Red Shoes wants to see a finish. So, I mean, that's fair. You know, it, it's it, it makes the match a bit more interesting, but also, you know, it goes really far to the point that uh, Kabuki, I think he gets disqualified near the end or the match just yeah. stops because I didn't see a pin. It, yeah, he, he, he hammers Muto in the head with a chair in front of the ref, ref in the ring. Yeah, like, and, then generally, and then assaults the ref. Yeah, generally red shoes will let things go if it's outside the ring. Unless, ah, okay, it, unless it's unless it's you know unless it's like something serious, he's taking chairs off people and stuff but like did, that before. Do you know what the most do you know what the most violent part of this match was though? The yeah. bit where I actually genuinely cringed on it. Mm. Uda's on the ground after yeah. he's pissing blood, and it looks like he is opened because he is. Mm. And then Kabuti kicks him in the head legitimately. Yeah. Not yeah. pull, doesn't pull the kick. I mean, like no, he's he's kicking him quite hard. Like he's kicking him. I'm like that attempted murder. <laughs> like, that's what that is I mean you do that outside of a chipper if, uh, on a Saturday night <laughs> that's a jail like but yeah. it's, it's horrible like it really is and it's like no wonder the crowd hates him so much because you're just like that you're not a face no that's it and you know when, you're not a face no you are definitely not a face and then at the end he picks up the microphone and says ah oh, my son next yep. time I'll kill you <laughs> like, as I said he that's got close. terrifying he got close yeah it's just like this is insane but and it's like this isn't even this is a, i think it's a soccer joe hall so it's like it's not even their biggest venue but it's kabuki's big chance in new japan pro wrestling he'd always been an all japan wrestler yeah he was in a he was in a faction called hinsaiki gun uh who were kind of there was him and koshinaka and uh oh uh Miyagi, who sadly passed away last week he was another fmw regular who was in this particular who joined this group uh yeah. Matsunaga was in it as well it was like lots of martial arts based kind of guys i love i love the mooters running clothesline which is one of his signature moves where he'd go down all the way down the ramp or an entrance where he'd run as fast as he possibly could and hit somebody with a clothesline Great. and he managed to hit him and then run into the ring post himself <laughs> <laughs> it's like whoa <laughs> No, they normally do it and run into the ropes, but obviously because there was no ramp this time, you just kind of did it in the ring post. But it, it's brutal. But you can see why he was like the go-to guy for the IWGP Championship in the 90s. You know, yeah. he, he holds the belt more than anyone else in this period of time. Hashimoto's the big draw, you know, but it's kind of like Hashimoto, Steve Austin, and uh, Muta's Bret Hart, if you see what I mean. Muta's the guy that's going to consistently make you money. Whereas Hashimoto is going to give you big, big gates. Um, and it's kind of like you have to have the two of them to make it work. I mean, Chono was the other one of the three musketeers, but Chono was kind of, they called him Mr. August because he won three G1 climaxes. He was the tournament guy and the other two were the belt guys. So between the three of them, they ran the business for, you know, 10 years, really. And you can see why, why he was such a draw. I mean, you know, that's it. Like, it's 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 a shame that he. Well, I mean, I was gonna say a shame that he never got the 
got the top spot, but longevity kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. You know, and I mean, anytime he's booked anywhere, I don't know, was he ever in the WWE? Muta? Yeah. No, never. He always wanted to wrestle in New York, and he got to do that with Impact Wrestling. Well, I, mean, um, that, I mean, that's it. I mean, the thing about it is, it's a shame that never happened, but WCW always treat him like a star, except in the next match, which we'll get to. But they always treat him, because, <laughs> I mean, that's not his fault. That's that's the NWO's fault. But, um, I mean, with, it, with Impact, for example, when we do talk about that, like, he's the biggest star there. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's, how, it's how they presented him. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of wrestling politics to go between now and then. So yes. we should move on to the next match. Correct. Uh, the next match is um, back in WCW um, under the talent swap agreement with WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. At this point, we're back at being the great Muta. He's wrestling uh, Lenny Lane, unfortunately for Lenny Lane. And we're back at the center stage in Atlanta. Um, and it's the it's the... Kind of the downhill crest for the NWO, shall we say, in North America at least. Yeah. yeah. So, so look, I first of all, I this is my favorite arena ever. Yeah, I the love sat, it. The, the the Saturday nights, um, Saturday nights main, oh, Saturday night WCW uh, main event, yeah, main it, event cash, it, yeah, whatever it's called. It's just, <laughs> I just love it. I think it's brilliant. Um, yeah. If I was booking a wrestling promotion, I would bring this back. It's fantastic. Um, it's so, it's so atmospheric, like, and just looks so weird to see people wrestling, like, in a, like, Muda comes out and takes full advantage of it, which is class. <laughs> Notably, he is using the Jobber WCW music, which sucks. <laughs> so he is being portrayed as the B team. Yeah. Which is very. I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame Hulk Hogan on that. Yeah. Uh, because that's probably. Who, well, him you know. and Hogan had history. Yeah, so yeah. I don't, don't believe that's why he's on the B team. Yeah. However, Lenny Lane uh, is the jobber here, um, but still not too bad. I, I always liked Lenny Lane. I thought he was a trier. Yeah, like he, he's there to take the moves, and I mean this is this really is even though Muda is the on the B team here, this is a showcase for him. Yeah. And there's some great exchanges in this. There's some great off the top rope stuff, off the ropes in general. A fantastic like triple arm drag. Yeah. Which is amazing. And uh yeah, Muda comes out looking like a million bucks and Lenny Lane goes home. And <laughs> <laughs> gets paid. Doesn't last very long. Um no, no but I mean Oh sorry, it's... sorry, one more second, one more thing, one more point. Commentary, Mike Tanay. Yes. Fantastic to hear Mike Oh, Tanay. bless the blessed. Oh, he's brilliant. I love Mike Tanay. He was the, the, I can't remember the other guy. He was in TNA as well because he was just on the Slammiversary show and I can't remember his name because he went to Impact. They both went to Impact when it started, didn't they? And then he drifted off after a while. Oh, uh, um, Don West. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. No, 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 Don West. Um, the, he, the backstage interview in the early days of Impact Wrestling. I can't remember his name, but he was also, he was the oh, yeah. commentator on this. Chris, yeah, can... somebody, can't remember. Not Chris Crude, but another guy. Anyway. Name um, name. But yes. it is great. I have to say, 1997 WCW, we're probably going to do on the Rewind next, uh, yeah. at some point. I'm really excited to do it because of that commentary team. Indeed. Oh, and then, of course, the late, great Mark Curtis as referee yes. uh, in this uh, particular match. Mark Curtis, who was probably a more talented wrestler than both of these two. <laughs> but had an ultra-fast metabolism, which meant he could never put on weight. So oh, man. he was always destined to be a referee, but he could do moonsaults on all sorts of stuff. Mick Foley said he was the best wrestler he ever saw that wasn't a wrestler. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, Lenny Lane trying a moonsault on the Great Muta. 
wasn't going to work. No. Nice try, son. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are. Um, yeah, at this point, Keiji Muto was not, was a member of Hontai. The great Muto was a member of the NWO, mm. which was weird because um, he would start matches as Keiji Muto and then brawl into the back and come back as the great Muto, beat up his tag team partner, then go in the back and come back out as Keiji Muto. Got to keep it real. Yeah, and his tag team partners were going like, what are you doing? What do you mean? But you're the same person. And he would go, no, no. <laughs> Have you not seen Moon Knight? <laughs> and yeah, it was an interesting way, because basically, obviously, Muta was the equivalent of Sting in, yes. uh, in WCW, and they tried to do it in the same particular way. In the end, because um, this kind of links us to the next match, Kiyaji Muto did eventually join the NWA, Masahiro Chono went off injured, and mm. to vacate the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Muto won the, the vacant championship and turned the NWA babyfaces, much to the chagrin of Masahiro Chono, who, when he came back eight months later after the injury list, um, started Team 2000, which we'll see some more of later, um, who uh, were heels and the NWO were babyfaces. And when the NWO ended, as you know, all great things come to an end, Muto mm. started a new faction called Badass Translate Trading, which is, I think, one of the best factions that never gets anywhere near as much coverage as it should do because it's such a unique idea. Right. Muto started a faction that um, uh, involved people not just from New Japan Pro Wrestling, but also from uh, Michinoku Pro Wrestling, from All Japan Pro Wrestling, from, uh, from um, other promotions, and from mixed martial arts as well. Mm. So all those flags you see at the ringside in the opening of this match, which is for the All Japan Triple Crown against Genichiro Tenru, show um, the Badass Translate trading logo, which is just a, an idea, a wonderful idea for a faction, I think. That makes sense. Yeah, like Don Fry was part of that faction. Um, uh, uh, oh, loads of people. I can't, I've off the top of my head, I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, it was... But, but it, they wrestled, they all went and supported each other in each of the promotions, and they were all there. And it was like, so what's your brilliant idea? Now, are you in for some deep King's Row politics, Dara? I mean, <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> so, as we all know, in 2000, the great giant Baba passed away. And, oh, it's 1999. And after about a year, Misura Masawa was tapped to be the lead booker and president of All Japan Pro Wrestling um, and was told to run the company in the way that Giant Baba would have appreciated by his widow, Matoko Baba. After about a year, Masawa came to a head with Matoko and decided that he couldn't stand doing things the way Baba had always done things because the company was going to essentially run out of people to wrestle each other because the way Kings Road Wrestling works, it's kind of like a video game you need a certain number of moves to beat a certain wrestler. The booking style is very predictable in that way, but that's kind of what brings it as a draw because you know what's going to happen. And as soon as you switch that formula, you know a wrestler's on their way forward and you want to support them better. It's genius booking, but it has the floor of, eventually the fans will do the maths and figure out who's going to be who. So um, to change that up, you need to bring some people in occasionally to change the story. But Mitoko Babu was not interested in that. She wanted to keep All Japan the way All Japan. And to be fair to her, All Japan had made shitloads of money for decades using that formula. Why change a thing? 
But a lot of the wrestlers were showing a lot of discontent because there was no upward mobility, because there was a log jam at the top of the car, because you couldn't change the main eventers because of the way King's Road booking works. So essentially, it was always going to be Teo, it was always going to be Misawa, it was always going to be Kawada, and it was always going to be um, uh, Kent Kabashi. So they decided to leave and form Noah, which leaves Matoka Baba in a hole because she's only got three Japanese wrestlers and four Gaijins left. And whoever's in the dojo. So you can imagine things are going swimmingly for her. <laughs> so she has to do the unthinkable, which is rehire Genichiro Tenru, who was told by Giant Baba he would never wrestle for AJPW again for leading the first exodus to Super World Sports Wrestling that we talked about earlier in this show. But Tenru is the most popular All Japan Pro wrestler of all time. She brought him back, he wins the Triple Crown, and they start making money again. But Tenru is not going to last forever. He's already 45 and showing signs of wear and tear. Kawada, who's the president of the company, is a good go-to as the ace of the company. But again, he's kind of showing signs of wear and tear. So you've got to bring in somebody new to make things work. And for a short-term fix, they bring in Keiji Muto to look after the main event, as well still signed to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, and for about a year, he wrestles as a guest for All Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan are fine with this because it gives them some room to work at the top of their card and develop some new talents. And people like Satoshi Kojima can move up and uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, which they do. And Muta goes off to All Japan Pro Wrestling until Motoko Baba makes an offer that um, Muta cannot refuse, which is to take over as the lead booker and president of All Japan Pro Wrestling as Kawada will go down the card quite happily because he wants to take a break. And uh, Muto ends up being the top draw for All Japan Pro Wrestling. And the first stage for that is to win the Triple Ground here against Jinichiro Tenru. Does that all make sense? It does. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a wild ride, but it does actually put a lot of this into some sort of context now. Now, we've covered this with Alex Watt and with John uh, Dinsdale on various podcasts. If you go back into the history of the Beginner's Guide to Japanese Professional Wrestling, of which this podcast will be part. Um, and you can cover that in more detail, but we're more interested in the way Muta has developed as a wrestler. He shaved his head because he was going bald and that was the sensible thing to do. Um, and here is wrestling Tenru, two absolute living legends of strong style and King's Road going at it in, when I first saw this match, I couldn't believe these two middle-aged people could do the things they were doing. And now like 20 years later, Tenru only retired three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and Muta's only retiring this year. So they were going at it. This is proper wrestling. <laughs> He's the great Muda for a reason. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So this is this is just outstanding stuff. For two guys who shouldn't really be able to do this at their age, even then, you know, and before like serious injury had kind of taken a toll on both their bodies, they were doing things that were unreal. Forty-five-year-old guy doing a top rope hurricane runner. <laughs> on a guy that's 250 pounds it's what you want though right <laughs> yeah it is i mean this is want. this is brilliant this is absolutely astounding but you just kind of can't believe that this is what was going on at the time and look at budokan hall packed to the rafters 14 and a half thousand people watching this wrestling match well i mean that's it that's what you want the, the pinnacle yeah. of japanese wrestling yeah absolutely what did you think of this one darren oh it's phenomenal like i mean i, I my only my only gripe on it would be you know the the quality of it i would have liked to have seen a better quality like the actual picture yeah yeah it's, it's yeah. pretty terrible not the match the match is unreal um and i mean that's the only real gripe i have against it but it, it, that's really unfair you know what's going on is actually 
great. It, it is weird to see Muda, uh, you know, because the jump is literally he has a head of black hair and then he's <laughs> bald. And you're like, all right, that's a bit weird. But, you know, you get used to it and you do get used to it. You know, it's the look that has. I mean, I missed out about eight years, which is all on New Japan, so we couldn't really use it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> you're like, and to be fair, in that period of time, he headlined the Tokyo Dome about seven times. You know, he wasn't hanging about. He was no. money. And, uh, you know, the, the, the big series, the big money-making series was the UWF series with uh, uh, when the UWF invaded New Japan Pro Wrestling, which was the precursor to the NWO. But what's really cool is it's like, I'm going to gonna use this to, to, some people are going to freak out with this. He's like Triple H, right? <laughs> he's like he's like the Triple H of wrestling, right? Of Japanese yeah, wrestling. Yeah, Japanese wrestling. Japanese wrestling. You know, it's like you can see that full arc really in this, and the look that he has is like, you know, he's the older um, mainstay. You know, where he's going to be there. He's top of the card. He ends the match with the belts, uh, and it's like that's he is the guy. You know, and I mean like. The last match we watched, he was, you know, on the, the you know, with the B squad of the NWO. So it really is kind of like, obviously, there was a lot happening between, as you said. But it's cool to see him like this because up until this point, we've seen him as a young fella. And this is his real kind of like, no, I'm the main guy. You know, mm. he's he's the Triple H of Japanese wrestling. Um, and it's cool. Like, it's really, really cool. What's going on in the match? Some people are freaking out because they hate Triple H, but... Whatever. I mean, I hate Triple H, but I you're wrong. What you're saying no, yeah. you are so wrong. Anyway, it was another <laughs> argument we can have for another day. Well, the pants uh, off me for thirty years. Anyway, but he is, he is. There are parallels in the sense of not just the bald head, but there are parallels in the political power play that Muto no, but, is. No, even the way he presents himself, yeah, it's a completely different presentation. Am I like mm. it's? You know, the move set, what he's doing is obviously completely different, right? It, there's still yeah, yeah. what he's doing there, because obviously it's it's been adapted and he's had stuff changed out. But the actual way he moves around the ring is completely different. Yeah, He has that sure-footedness of a veteran, where he's like, I'm the top guy, and I'm going to prove it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's what you would see in Triple H's last run, where yeah. he's like, yeah, I've been doing this for fucking 30 years yeah <laughs> you know and i mean it's that kind of thing as well but what is amazing is the fact that there are sequences in this match that you would not expect these guys to be able to do no it really is, is incredible like i'm just looking at like these two drop and kicking each other's knees yeah it's just like it was well known that both of them had dodgy knees but so they're both, they're both doing dragon screw leg whips this was this was the point where Muta had moved away from the moonsault because of the damage it was doing to his knees. And obviously, the, of course, he invents the shining wizard, which is what? A knee to the head. Because obviously, <laughs> I've got the worst knees in wrestling. What I need to do is be using them to hitting people in the head with. But they also work it true as well for their rest spots when mm. they're doing submission holds based all around the knee. So, like, yeah. you know, uh, leg locks, a, a weird looking figure four leg lock. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we know that. They know that, but they're not shying away from it. I mean, no. it, it's again kind of thing. It's that yeah, it's a Triple H mentality, cerebral assassin, where you're attacking mm. certain parts of that they're injured. You know, you see yeah, it all yeah, the yeah. time, whatever. So, I mean, it's a re it's a, it's a really cool move. Again, you, you're taking off, you're taking out the the moonsault, which you know, I mean, that's your finisher gone, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the shine of wizard. I mean, 
you know, you go to any indie show in the world and you're going to see 17 of them in a, in a match. So his legacy is like. I remember, I, be, I remember, yeah, I remember I was in a, I was in an indie show or I was watching an indie show one time mm. and uh, every match had China Wizards. It was ridiculous. It was like, it's other moves, guys. But Tegan Knox, when she was, uh, when she in her early days on the UK, and then she finished here, she was announced as the girl with the shiniest of wizards. <laughs> <laughs> she, she would like, she would apply yeah. shiny wizards every chance she she could possibly get, and then just go, well, and get if they kicked out until she go, but that was really shiny. Was <laughs> like, the shiniest of wizards? The shiniest of wizards, exactly. I love it. I love yeah, it. and um, and yeah, I mean Tenaru as well. He's just he's off the page. You know, he, he was the biggest star of the 80s and the 90s really in Japan um you know like the only time that um WWE have really done big money shows in Japan involved Tenaru either as an all Japan regular or as with Super World Sports or with uh wrestling and romance yeah or war as it became known because really wrestling and romance um, can I just say one thing in the next match right so when Muda comes out with all the belts I wish Triple H did that <laughs> but Triple H never won the Triple Crown. That doesn't matter. He won everything else. Ah, oh, well, here's a story for you. This will make you smile. Okay, so um, Triple H and Ric Flair were on a Japanese tour, and they ran into Satoshi Kojima um, at a press con- at a press conference um, as a meeting. No, there was Kojima was tri- Triple Crown champion at the time, uh, and they were pressed with him, and they ran into Ric Flair and Triple H. Mm. And um, uh, oh, they all shook hands, <laughs> and then Kojima introduced them in Japanese: Ric Flair and his handler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Yeah, just I, like that's ace. <laughs> it's, it's actually it's funny you mention it because I think Triple H's last match ever was yeah. in Japan. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So I mean, I think that is that's kind of fitting that uh, he comes into this conversation. Um, <laughs> but I mean. Yeah, like the it's it, it's cool to see it's cool to see this. And again, like so, the next match he's not wrestling as a great Muda; he's wrestling as Kiji uh, Muto. Yeah. So it's just like how come when he went back in when he went back, how come he didn't use the great Muda gimmick for like pretty much uh, the rest of his career up until he goes to uh, Impact? It was kind of it became the break glass in case of emergency character. Right. Okay. So yeah, in this particular match, I mean, he he became you know he was the drawer as Kiyoji Muto. He was a drawer as the Great Muto. Mm. But you had to kind of like get it out of him to become the Great Muto. It had to be kind of like a serious blood level feud. To right. Do so it, so it's literally like Finn Balor. Yeah, basically yeah. that was kind of where it came to. I mean, other wrestlers had kind of done something similar, and some of them just copied him. KG, the uh, Anita came out with the great Nita gimmick, which was kind of a similar kind of thing, but it was Anita being a bit silly. Um, Mizumi, so what, like, so basically, so what, at any point in the sorry for interrupting there, I just, um, yeah. I, I, I did have these questions. So during this run, did that ever happen? Uh, there was a few times, yeah. Okay. Uh, and he developed the Muta character as well. Like the Muta character we've seen in Impact Wrestling in a couple of matches time was like that type, the, the character had looked like that for a couple of years. Right, uh, the, the mask full, and all that kind of stuff. Mask, yeah, yeah, yeah the, that full presentation. He developed it. Um, there is an All Japan Pro Wrestling uh, Museum and Muta is like, you can see the development of Muta from WCW all the way to his All Japan stuff. Ah, oh, that's so really cool. cool. Yeah. That's so cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
obviously, next match is at the Giant Baba Memorial Show. It's at Budokan Hall, and it's against his dojo buddy, Masahiro Chono, who brings the Team 2000 guys with him to back mm. him up in his corner, including the recently um, divorced of All Japan Pro Wrestling, Dr. Death Steve Williams, um, which is really interesting. He's been an All Japan guy for all of his career. Interesting. Mm. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't actually cop that. Yeah, just to, I just saw it like, oh, Steve Williams in a new Japan, new Japan faction. How did that happen? I didn't really look into it because I had a chance. But I will find. Well, his WWE career was like, dead before it started. Yeah, that was kind of the problem. The belts oh. that Muto is wearing is indeed the Triple Crown. That's the uh, United, the NWA United National Championship, the uh, PWF uh, All Pacific Championship, and the NWA International Championship which came back from the old days of the old JWA giant bar at the, the NWA international championship, which um, started off life as a bell that was given to Luthez to go and defend Luthez. Luthez used to like go skiing in Europe. He'd go to the Pyrenees or the Alps for a skiing holiday in the winter. Mm. And obviously the American promoters were like, well, you, you can't just leave the championship and go skiing. And, they were like, and he was like, well, give me something else then. <laughs> and, he, and he became the NWA international champion and would defend it in Europe while somebody else defended the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion for, for a couple of months, go back to the States, pick his old belt up and off we go again. Um, but, I, but I mean, I must say, like, the actual, the way that looks, that presentation of yeah. having, it just looks so cool. I mean. It does. It, like, obviously, you know, the belt doesn't make the guy, but it definitely elevates that you're going to be in for a real, like I mean, you know, you see the problem a lot in in Western wrestling where they have a belt and doesn't mean anything. You yeah. know, someone but, comes out with, and we kind of saw a little bit actually with uh, in Impact and AEW when um, what's his face, Kenny, Kenny Omega. Omega, yeah, Kenny yeah. Omega had that um, had that kind of presentation. It really does have, it definitely does excuse the point. Leave an impact where you're like, right. Yeah. That there is something bigger than just that. And it, it's cool that this happened at Budokan Hall as well. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing that, like, those three championships were amalgamated in the late 80s. Baba mm. had this vision for what Ken Rowe could be, and he wanted one champion to be a champion above all. And the three yeah. champions, the three champions at the time were Jonichiro Tenru, um, Stan Hansen, and Jumbo Saruta. And you, right. couldn't, you couldn't find three better guys no. to do a series of matches to unify a world's championship. They didn't call it a world's championship because they were part of the NWA at the time, but it was their world's championship. And, you know, every match they had was the best match they could possibly be for that championship. And this was still in that lineage. Now, I, mean, show- you I mean, you don't need to prove that this is a, a world championship because it's it's just on display. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, it's like saying, hey, we have this, but not really because holy hell. Yeah. This is like next level. Sorry for yeah. again, of course. No, this, this is a need that, you know, the, the triple crown still exists. They don't use the same three belts anymore because um, just because they're far too valuable <laughs> and they have one belt now that represents all three and the the like the symbols on it are, are representative of all three championships. And on big occasions like anniversary shows, they'll bring out all three championships to be worn by the current champion as well as the amalgamated belt, which is just cool. It's just cool. You, know, you look at that belt and you're like, Ricky Dozan won that title from Luthez in 1959 and 16 million people watched it on television. That's awesome. 
like 92% of the Japanese television audience watched that match for that belt. That's how cool that belt is. You know, that's that's something you don't see. You know, there's, there's lineage there, you know, from the best wrestlers who ever, ever lived, who drew the biggest houses you can imagine. And yeah, and that's what makes the Triple Crown cool. Even though nowadays all Japan isn't quite the company it was, it's still the Triple Crown. That's it. You know, yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, that it, it says something, you know, and the match itself, well, not the best match of the whole list. It really isn't. No. Um, it does have its moments. Um, but again, it's it's the story that these guys are telling. Yeah. And, and that's it, the important thing. And the story is, you know, the Dojo brothers who went their separate ways. You know, Chono at this particular point was the big draw in New Japan Pro Wrestling. His career had taken a major turn in 1994. Is it 94? Yeah, it would be 90, uh, 95. He was wrestling Steve Austin at the Tokyo Dome, and Steve Austin used a reverse spike pile driver and landed him on his head and broke his neck. Oh. Hmm. No, it happened. The same thing happened to Steve Austin 18 months later. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really bizarre how that happened. And I don't understand how, why it would happen. <laughs> just, just, just one of those things. Um, but it meant Chono, like Austin, changed his style to be more character led and more of a brawler because he couldn't do the, the super slick professional wrestling he was known for. Yeah. So he became a kick and punch brawling guy, which is what Steve Austin did and became a character led badass. I mean that that's the match that you've seen. Yeah, this is it. This is you know? there's there's a lot of you could equally put Bret Hart and Steve Austin in this particular position. That's what it feels like. Even. Yeah, it's that that's kind it of match. Like. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's a kick punch match, but the kick punch is all good, you know? Yeah, that's it. You know, Chono Chono turned that Yakuza kick into an art form. Yeah. <laughs> very, very much so. Yeah. MVP brilliantly calls Chono the coolest person that ever lived. <laughs> 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 and yeah and he's absolutely right he's Chono I, you, if you, I want to be Masahiro Chono when I grow up he's cool what does Chono do now he walks with a cane looks incredibly cool goes and bump, fist bumps with Tetsuya Nato at every G1 climax and you know does commentary once a year and everybody treats him like a wrestling god because he is there no you complaint go. no complaint yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of my friends Jazzy Gabbert Ended up going to Japan. She became a wrestler for stardom. And when he found out there was a German wrestler wrestling for stardom, he invited her to his office, now the press mm. conference, to say, my German wife would like to meet this young lady. And um, there you go. It's, uh, he's Lovely. a gracious, gracious man. He's a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, and a great wrestler. And this is that match, even though he did not have the tools he had when he was younger, he knew exactly how to make a match. And... Um, with a guy you've been wrestling since you were 20 years old, it's going to be hard work not to have a great match. Mm. So yeah, this is this is excellent, and it just kind of shows you what Muto's vision of All Japan Pro Wrestling was like. It's very good. It's very it very good. It, it again, it's it's not the best match you're going to see, but I think the way you said it there, Bret Hart and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's kind of very much what it's like. Yeah, indeed. We'll move on. We've got one more AJPW match before things get a bit. Screwy with the history and <laughs> new things come afoot as Muto branches his wings once again. Uh, our next match, I'm just waiting for this to come forward, is we've got two more AJPW matches. The next match is an interesting one because this is from uh, the Championship Carnival, which was AJPW's um, 
big summer tournament like the G1, mm-hmm. like the N1 in Noah. This was their big tournament for the sort of big tournament. And this was from 2008. Hiroshi Tanahashi, believe it or not, was out of contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling because they'd forgotten about it or something <laughs> stupid. I right. was a freelancer. The equivalent would have been John Cena at his biggest moment as a draw and Vince McMahon going, yeah, we're not going to give you any more money. And <laughs> 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 then gone to wrestle for TNA. Uh, this was essentially that. And Tanahashi goes, oh, so I could go wrestle in the championship carnival then. Well, yeah. So whilst they were sort of the contract out, contract out, they let him go wrestle in the championship carnival. And not only that, he didn't go as a babyface, he wrestled as a heel. Because he's Hiroshi Tanahashi, and he can do what he likes. So, I mean, yeah. I, I was giddy watching this match because that makes a lot of sense now, how it happened. I had yeah. questions, and you thank you for answering all <laughs> um, What's this Hiroshi Tanahashi like, doing in All Japan Pro Wrestling was the first one I would assume. So, yeah. Karam, yeah, yeah. Karam. Um, But yeah, I mean, look, the match itself, it, Muda, you can see he has gotten older. Yeah. Uh, particularly when he's in there with Tanahashi, you're like, whoa, you know. But that being said, I think that adds so much to it because Tanahashi is such a heel. Yeah. That when Mudo gets going, the crowd is just mad into it, and you get into it as well because it's it it, it is you know it, it it's not I want I don't want to say one sided because it kind of is, mm. but it's very good. It's yeah. a very, very good match. And I think both the lads knew what they were doing. They knew what the ask was. And then when eventually the finish sequence does kind of happen, you're in. You know, yeah. it, it, it it's slow to start, fires up, and then finishes like red hot. It's very, very good. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's just so much fun to watch. And Tanahashi's having the time of his life being a heel as well. You can tell. Oh, you can tell. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Tanahashi makes it. Like, it, it, again, like, the the bad the the bad part about watching his playlist is you do see Mudo Muda's career completely, so you see him slowing down. Yeah. But Tanahashi being in there, he's he's carrying. The, I don't want to use the word carrying the match in in a, in a, in a pejorative way. I mean, he is carrying the the emotion that you want to feel watching this wrestling match. Yeah, and it is very much master and student. I mean, Tanahashi. Yeah. Muto was just at the tail end of his New Japan rush run as Tanahashi was his young boy for quite some time. And yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of connection there. He didn't go to all Japan when Muto left. He mm. stayed in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But Kojima, who was really Muto's protege, went with him and he became like the ace of all Japan Pro Wrestling. Absolutely. Um, and but Tanahashi stayed put. And it was obviously the right move because he became yeah. a massive, the, the star. He built New yeah. Japan Pro Wrestling on his own back. Yes. And, you know, Watching him here as a heel, you know, people say, oh, he's the greatest pure white baby baby face in, of all time. And I was like, no, he's not. He's a sneaky little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I've seen him wrestle. It's refreshing to see. Yeah. It's, I've never seen it before. So, I mean, it was great to see, as you said, you know, he, he would be quantified as a, a, a bigger face than Cena in that way. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, yeah, you, you can really do it when you want to do it. You know? Oh, yeah. I might, I've, I've mentioned this so many times, and I'm probably boring people with it, but the first real serious run I saw Tanahashi with was the feud with Nakajima, uh, sorry, Nakamura, uh, over the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. And they were wrestling in Tokimo, Tokyo one night for Invasion Attack in 2013. Mm. And Naka, Shinsuke Nakamura in Tokyo is on another level over. 
and like you could Tanahashi's is walking down the aisle and he's listening to the crowd as his music plays and he kind of like nods and then there's like a light bulb goes off in his head and the first thing he does is run Nakamura's knee into the guardrail and slam the guardrail door on it and it's like the crowd go boo and it's like yeah <laughs> I, <love it. laughs> I can't I win it. I can't win this as a baby face so I'm gonna have to be the heel here and I'm fine with that and oh, he hammered Nakamura's knee for 20 minutes and Nakamura looked like a superstar, which was his whole point. And that's you know that's what you want you you know wrestling at its at its at its holest they're gonna get you to get you to believe what they want you to believe and what they want yeah. you to feel. Yeah. And I mean you wouldn't really normally you wouldn't think that's something that happens in Japanese wrestling, but of course it does. It's just it, a different betrayal, you know. That's it. I mean that was the same night Tetsuya Naito, who was essentially the John Cena of. New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was like earnest and grand and, and wonderful and great. The you know the stardust genius. You know he mm. was the, the future of pro wrestling. The baby face. He'd won the G1 Climax that summer. He was never open weight champion. Went up against Tomohiro Ishii on the undercard and got booed out the building <laughs> because Ishii Ishii's just Ishii. He's a hard worker. Everybody loves him. Never yeah. a baby face. Never really a heel. You get what you get. You get your head kicked in. And they loved him for it. And NATO couldn't catch a break. And they booed him out the building. And within six months, he was a heel. And then he then, but he's a heel. But he's yeah. now the most popular guy in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He sells more merch than anybody else. That's so how, just, yeah. That's just how it works, you know? Yeah, but at the time, he had a personality of wet cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> he did. It was, was just like I'm watching him wrestle. I didn't know. He was kind of winding up the wet cardboard, so when he did turn heel, everything would work out. Mm. And I now consider him probably an absolute true wrestling genius because he knew exactly what he was doing. But it takes a while for you to get to those those stages. And Tanahashi is just a great example of that, just how he can switch. Absolutely. And this particular match is a great example of how that's going to work. We're at Kurokan yeah. Hall, packed to the rafters, 1,200 people sweating an awful lot. Yeah. <laughs> And Tanahashi's, Tanahashi's mullet is a thing of beauty, you have to say. And he's not even the 90s. You know, mullets have been out of fashion for 18 years and he's brought mm. it back. It's the 90s for him. It is, too. It's forever the 90s. Yeah. You know, Marty Friedman plays his guitar intro. So there you there go. You go. <laughs> but I mean, look, if that's who else do you want to play your, your intro, you know? <laughs> uh, next up, we are back at Sumo Hall with All Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, a tag team match. One of the people that, when he became uh, um, the booker for All Japan, that um, Muto believed in as a wrestler and kind of brought him up in the ranks was a young Suwama. He became kind of the poster boy for the company and would become ace of the company for a long period of time. Um, and one of the guys he needed to kind of bring him up in that uh, respect was some badass heels. And who's a badder ass a heel than Minoru Suzuki and Takeyama? There ain't anybody better than them two. Um, and they were available. So they went to All Japan Pro Wrestling to raise some hell. By God, did they raise hell. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a match between Kiyeji Muto and Suwama against Minoru Suzuki and um, Takeyama, whose name is first name. Uh, there we go. Yoshi, Yoshihiro Takeyama. Uh, arguably for the toughest people on earth Suzuki and Takeyama are two of the most dangerous people that have ever lived um, genuinely proper badass shooters um, they hurt people for a living um, and this is just sublime this is just violence of the highest order and I thoroughly approve what do you reckon of this Dara? Uh, I, I don't know I mean 
I, I didn't enjoy this match. Okay, fair enough. Which I think, I mean, it's, I think it's kind of my thing. Yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't... It just wasn't, like... What's a nice way to say it? I don't know. It needed something else. It needed, like... Uh, it wasn't that it was slow. It was meticulous. And I understood what they were doing. And as you yeah, said, yeah. extremely violent shooters that the reputation precedes them, obviously, right? Yeah. But I think if I had have had a little extra, it right. would have been... It would have been more... Like, there was no spectacle to it. And I, I mean, it, it was... This would have been a cool time to break out the great mood, I think. Yeah, I think I think, I think this is on the way to be right. something great, if you see what I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, if this was if this was the start in a sequence that led to yeah. a big thing, it's perfect, and that's what it did because I mean, it 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 it, it got that over. Yeah. But you know, for me, this it, that's what this would have to be. You know, yeah. if this was the end, I'd be like, oh, that was kind of flat. But if it's the first part leading to an escalation where we see a cage match or we see the return yeah. of Muda or we see something else. Cool. Yeah. But for the first opening, I agree with you in that sense. Yeah. But as, as a, as a body of work, it's the start of something rather than the end, if that makes sense. That's fair enough. I can understand that. I mean, Suwara, Suwama and Minoru Suzuki would end up trading the, the, the triple crown. Um, and that's really where it ended up. So it did get to the thing. Oh, good. Well, once this, it got this, to the thing, that's the main. That that yeah. is, you know, the point of it. It's no, just it's, it's it's very flat. It's it's a it's a flat opener, but not really yeah. bad. If that makes sense. I, just a, as a as a side note, it's the twentieth anniversary of uh, Takayama versus Don Fry, which is considered to be arguably the greatest mixed martial arts match of all time. Um, where attendants at ringside said they could hear tendons snapping. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> Yaku Takiyama, which are just a tough, tough guy. Um, still with us. Unfortunately, he's in hospital. He's um, he's paralyzed. He took a rough DDT on the floor oh, whilst wrestling that. for DDT. Um, and this is how tough he was. When the boss went to see him as they put him in the ambulance, he went, I'm sorry I couldn't finish the match. Oh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how tough he is. Um, he's looked after by Minoru Suzuki. And if you go to Minoru Suzuki's um, Instagram page, and to his Twitter, uh, and to his store, the Power Driver store, there is mm. a fund for Takayama, um, which I, I personally get money to. Uh, when they when the Sendai Girls crew came to the UK, the, a lot of the fans put money together for the Takayama uh, relief fund to help pay for his hospital bills and help with his recovery. I strongly recommend you do it, because Takayama gave everything for the sport of professional wrestling, and he deserves it. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah I mean, this match kind of like shows, like we're saying, it's Kirk and Hall, so it's not the... The biggest of all biggest matches. It is kind of a, a build up. I enjoy it just because it's Minoru Suzuki and Takayama, and I'd watch them do anything all day. Fair. I'd watch Fair. them go fishing all day. <laughs> I mean, that's why I kind of enjoyed the next match. Yeah. Because it was, I mean, uh, it's insane, uh, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I didn't. When I saw it, I was like, "What is this? What is this beautiful nightmare that has appeared?" I mean, I did so. On, on the rewind, we have uh, we have a phrase called bukali. Now, bukali is Irish for boy, for boys, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a podcast, there's a show called um, OSW View, and they have their boys, right? 
Yeah. Where like wrestlers who are complete jobbers, but we like them anyway. They're our boys, right? So we've yeah. we, we've made it legally distinct and we call it the bookly, right? Oh, okay. So chronic are our booklies because they're the boyest boys who ever boyed, right? Ridiculous <laughs> gimmick that makes no sense. It should like call them something else, but chronic, you know, it's ridiculous. They're fresh off WCW here, right? Yes. Probably fresh off WWA or around the same time. And somehow they end up with Goldberg, who's fresh off WCW before going into WWE. And Mudo. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I I love everything about this. I love that that Goldberg is using US Army as his little uh as his little uh, floozies. Yeah. I, I love the presentation that they still use his music despite the fact that they probably couldn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the way the stage is presented. Oh man, it's it's wonderful. Chronic are terrible because of course they are. Uh, <laughs> Goldberg ha- has a twenty-five minute match, which is unheard of. Unbelievable! I didn't think he could do it. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of Muto doing the heavy lifting in this match. Oh, I think Muto's doing all the list- lifting to be honest. <laughs> Goldberg looks like a million bucks. He looks like a like Chronic look like stars, and they're not. They are. You know, as I said, they're on the bookly list for a reason. And um, this is one. This is a wonderful time capsule. It is. I mean, it, it just this should be in a museum. Like, I love the fact that like like they've got all three of them in the ring, and then Goldberg turns up to the arena to get changed. He isn't just like you know coming out of his dressing room. Oh, it's the best. He actually no, gets changed. it actually gets changed during his introduction. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. And then it, like it. this was Wrestle One, so. Uh, whilst he was promoting a All Japan Pro Wrestling, he had this idea called Wrestle Love, which was have cross promotional matches. Tell your stories with, um, tell your stories in your home promotions. Then every once in a while, we'll have a Wrestle Love show, which is everybody. Yeah. Um, and you can either have New Japan guys versus New Japan guys on a show with All Japan versus All Japan guys, or yeah. you can have a mix of New Japan and All Japan guys. You can do things differently. That's what it was called. Eventually, called Wrestle One. And eventually, after a while, um, he would leave All Japan Pro Wrestling and just promote Wrestle One as an independent company and take half of the AJPW roster with him. This is known as the second great, um, the, um, the third, third great, uh, the third great, I can't remember, was the uh, migration, the third migration of, of AJPW. The first one being SWS, the second one being Noah, and this is the third migration of Wrestle One. It's a bit biblical, you know, King's Road Wrestling. It's all very holy. <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is, though, uh, <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is, it's like, it's such a weird match that you'd never think existed. Yeah. Like, until... Again, like Catholicism. <laughs> it's just, it's, well, I don't know. It's just, I just, I can't believe that. And also, again, remember, on the Rewind, on the Rewind, we're watching... WCW collapse. So we're seeing Chronic be terrible every week. And they're not here. They're like really good. <laughs> you see Goldberg, like Goldberg just lost the losers leave WCW match. Because of course he did. And <laughs> I mean probably to come do this match. Well, it was it was two years beforehand, but still. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh I mean, just to see them outside of that environment is wild. But to see them perform at such a cool level and be decent is insane. And it's a testament that, you know, in Japan, in the right circumstances, 
with oh, the right I... person, they can have this barn burner, which is probably the highlight of all their careers, except for the Muda. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, it's just like, and even then you can say, well, I was in the Tokyo then with the great Muda. And uh, yeah. so you have to say, that's all you don't have to do anything else, do you? That's the sentence. Well, I think, I think Chronic broke up very soon after this and they, they, well, you know, they that was clearly it. couldn't do any more. No, I can speak for them at that point. That's it. <laughs> you know. Was it? I can't remember the. Um, uh, it was one. Of, it was a band that got the number one single, and they were, oh, we don't have to do anymore. That's it. We're finished. That's fine. We've 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 achieved our career goal. Why would you do anything else? And that's it. Um, this is kind of that. Yeah, the peak. It is, but the, like, yeah. it like it kind of has everything. Has yeah. Goldberg being a monster? It has a table spot. It you know it ends with the jackhammer. Goldberg gets the pin, which is. Surprising to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and Connick did what they were there to do. Now, yeah. I did, again, I did not expect them to have a 25 minute barn burner at that point. I was like, here comes Connick. This is over in five minutes. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's probably the most competitive Goldberg match I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, and there's also, for those of you who don't know, um, Chronic were Brian Clark and Brian Adams. That's the wrestler Brian Adams, not the Canadian boxer. Not the Canadian boxer. Because that would be the ace. <laughs> I mean, folks, again, if you, this is your first time listening, hearing me, one, I'm sorry. And two, if you want more, you can go to the Rewind and we'll follow our Chronicle of Chronic. Chronicle of Chronic. There you go. Yes. Um, uh, which, it, which is a bit like our mullet watch on the Troopany show. <laughs> In fact, there's a good crossover of Mullet Watch and Chronic. That's they fair. They do have glory. for, for glorious mullets. They do even, have glorious mullets. Even at this point in like 2002, 2005, <laughs> um, before the mullet had gone out of style and come back in again. Um, but yes, this this is just, just yeah, it's just gloriously 90s wrestling in all its glory. Um, in, t- in 2003. In 2003, you could possibly yep. imagine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it's just, you're right. It is just like probably the biggest match Chronic would ever be in. Um, you know, I'm, do you know, I always liked Brian Clark. I, Brian Adams was all right. You know, he was a bit boring. Crush was not the best character ever for anyone. I no. always thought Brian Clark had potential, but just never went anywhere. The biggest problem with Chronic, again, it's that they were, even in WCW, they were over. It's just their gimmick made no sense. It's yeah. like they would, they would be these big two bruisers. They had a, a weed gimmick and only referred to it once or twice. And then a lot of their backstage segments would be them sit, sitting in a shower together or sitting in a steam room together. And you're like, what? <laughs> Which is it? What, what's going on? <laughs> Just go out and kill your man. And then they go out and have a great match. And that would be it. And you're like, are, are they, what? What's, are they weed? Weed? Is that what it is? Okay. Because it, it, that was the joke, you know? So I mean, Chronic were Chronic were undone by terrible booking in WCW and a gimmick that made no sense. And then when you went to WWE, they were killed by the Undertaker and Kane. So it's good to see that two years later they landed on their feet by getting killed by Goldberg and Miller. <laughs> but <laughs> slight move up in potential. Well, well then, the match lasted longer. It was what a good seven minutes long, um, seventeen minutes longer than yeah. their match against Undertaker and Kane. So there you go. So. Yeah. We're moving on a couple of years now. Wrestle One had established itself as kind of one of the promotions in Japan. There are many, many promotions in Japan now, and a, the further schism of Ring of Kings Road uh, resulted in a cross promotional deal with Impact Wrestling, yes. which involved some really kind of cool matches. To be honest with you, um, all sorts of different things uh, happened. 
Uh, but the lead star of the younger division in Wrestle 1 was a gentleman called Seiya Sonata, who mm. went on excursion to uh, Impact Wrestling, where we also discovered he had a personality of cardboard. Um, wet cardboard. Very wet cardboard. Uh, and was pushed in the X division, which was great, because he was a great wrestler and still is a great wrestler. For those of you who know him now in New Japan Pro Wrestling as Sonata, he has found the gimmick that fits him. And the mm. gimmick that fits them is to not say anything and be as expressionless as possible. And so he has honest, it down. Yeah, he has it down. And honestly, sells T-shirts like the clappers and has women fawning over him for his every move. Um, whereas women were not fawning over him in his X Division run, were they? No. Well, it's funny. So I Trip, was work Tripping over him, possibly, but not fawning over him. It was funny. I was working for The Sun at this point, and... You know, did a lot of work with TNA, so I remember when this happened. Yeah, I remember this like it was yesterday. It was it was wild. It was a huge deal. So I mean, let's not undersell it. This was a massive, massive, massive deal. This was Bound for Glory 2014. Yeah. This was like the main event. That's when they did it in Japan, mm. which is weird because Impact had that, you know, where they nearly went under like three or four times. Yeah. Um, and this is when they kind of started to turn the ship around and kind of actually be decent. Yeah. Um. So it was. It was actually. I think I interviewed James Storm at this around this point. Yeah, I have it somewhere in the archives. I'll, I'll find him and put it on the network. Mm. But I interviewed him around this point, around this time actually, because he was in Dublin for a house show. Um. So this, it was, it was funny that this was actually like on the playlist because like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, Sonata really wasn't much to talk about at this point like he was a great exhibition star but then again the, the, the tna impact wrestling was always known yeah. for his exhibition um but having james storm there who obviously was like a massive star for impact still is but i mean really really was yeah. uh, the guy at this point as well that did a lot for him and i remember when this happened there was a weird reaction to it because like impact had like dropped huge it was yeah. um it was really struggling and then by doing this show they kind of opened up that door mm. which had never really been opened since since wcw really um and it kind of laid the pavement like uh, impact wrestling walks away ew could run mm. with forbidden door Definitely. you know what i mean and i mean like this is like the genesis of it you know it really is this is I, where, I, where that kind of thing started so i mean i just wanted to call that out because that is something yeah that, i think you're right and I think you you can go back to what we were saying about Wrestle Love and Wrestle One in general. Mm. Muto's Muto's love is of professional wrestling, whether it's Kings yeah. Road, whether it's Strong Style, whether it's Japanese Lucha. He loves professional wrestling yeah. and wants it all to coexist in the same universe. That was his whole point, which is really the Forbidden Door. Tanahashi's in the same kind of he well, for Tanahashi coined the phrase Forbidden Door. Yeah, you know. So this is kind of very much in that territory. And I, if you go back to the squash at the time, I was I was working for WrestleTalk TV and doing the squash with Ben Spindler some days and with uh, Gavin some other days, and mm. we actually kind of prepared this show. We 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 were Ben was concerned, you know, what are they trying to do? Are they going to try and do a TNA show in Japan? And I was like saying, I'm not sure completely that would work, and you know, because it's like. How are you going to change Kirk and Hall to look like this? And is it going to affect you on ticket sales? Because it's going to cost a lot of money to do this. Mm. And they, in you know, you seeing Kirk and Hall on this playlist, that tag match with Suzuki and Takayama was in Kirk and Hall, and Kirk and Hall does not look like this. No. And 
there was, and generally speaking, there was a niche market in Japan for American style wrestling that looks like American style wrestling. And that's the crowd they got because this isn't a Kurokan Hall crowd. And it's interesting because on that same day, Best of Super Juniors was the next show on after this. But what's cool about it is it's like it's American style wrestling, but not. I mean, it it does it didn't look like impact. No. I, I, I remember that being one of the main shocks for people. It's like, whoa, it doesn't look like impact because it, it didn't. No. I mean impact was like dying on its feet at this point. Yeah. So they did this as like a last gasp and it just so happened to basically save the company in lots of ways because this is kind of what Impact looks like now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the match is actually brilliant. Like Tajiri again, he he was like, he would pop up every now and then on Impact. So you wouldn't really, you know, but then you would watch this and he got a little of a run after as well. So, I mean, it it, it did a lot. It did a lot for everyone involved. Muda looked great. It was the first time that well, for me, I remember it was the first time I actually seen him with the mask. Yeah. Because I I did wasn't watching New Japan really, or not New mm. Japan, any, any Japan, Japanese wrestling at that point. So obviously I didn't really get a chance to see it. Um mm. but I mean what was cool about this was um everybody except for James Storm was spitting. <laughs> and that was serious. But it, remember James Storm also had the beer bottle. Yeah, true. So they kind of worked that in as well, which was fun. Uh, the match itself was great. I, I, it was it was really cool to see Muda moving around again and kind of matching pace with Jiri. Yeah. And Sonata, which is, you know, again, something we, we didn't really see. Obviously, the right finish happened. Uh, the only criticism that I have is the nonsense at the end of it. <laughs> uh, but that that's not... But it's, but it's Impact Wrestling, so you yeah. know it's going to be nonsense at the end of it. Exactly. The nonsense at the end of it. I mean, that was... That was it, silly, um, but you know, I think 3D got into the the Hall of Fame that year, if I remember correctly. Mm. For some reason, Impact has a Hall of Fame, and um, yeah, I think that's why they were there. Actually, I if someone wants to fact check me, they can. I think I think it was that year mm. they were in the Hall of Fame. So that was to de- get them the pop, but it really should have been Muda's Muda's moment. But sure, look. Yeah, that's it. that's it. I mean, that's the thing. I mean. I actually preferred the Wrestle One show that the Impact Wrestling guys went to earlier in the year, uh, yeah. Because you, you had like Minoru Tanaka versus Bobby Roode, and you know, yeah, uh, bizarre things like Gail Kim and um, Madison Rain having a singles match on an all male wrestling card. <laughs> I'd show it. I'm showing up most of the guys. <laughs> it, was, it was like really bizarre because like you know, Gail Kim and Madison Rain at the time were kind of known for their outfits that allowed freedom of movement, shall we say? Yes. And like all of a sudden they're kind of like stuffed crop tops underneath their through tops, just in the in fear of offending somebody. And I'm like, <laughs> you see Joshi wrestlers, right? They wear yep. less than you do. Yep. So you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, but yeah, it was, I think there was, there was a lot of good came out of the conversation between the two companies. It was a shame it ended, which was so impact. It was unbelievable, which was basically great Mutra said, you aren't using Vince Russo, are you? And Dixie said, "Cost, cost." Yep. Yep. Definitely not using Ventrus at all. When, of course, she was using Ventrus as a consultant. Yep. Um, and the relationship came crashing to a halt after. And not only, and less not less than open-minded views of Japanese wrestlers. And not only that, it was emailed around the entire company at the same time. Yeah. Which was the which was the breaking news at the point. So. Oh, impact. 
you know, for years I was saying when Impact goes under, I'm going to write the book about Impact Wrestling, and that nearly happened three times, and I'm like, oh my god, it just never Impact didn't have to. They're still going. That's <laughs> reason. To paraphrase Bill Hicks, three things will survive nuclear war: Keith Richards, Bugs, and Impact Wrestling. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'd believe that. It's like I don't know how the man, but you know they do have these spots where it's like unbelievable, and this is just one of them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, and it's, they recently had it as well. It's like you know, <laughs> Jay White for three year uh, between New Japan Strong and, and and Impact Wrestling, where he's wrestling Chris Saban in openers. And the next thing he does is go to the main event and beat Kazuchika Okada at the Fukuoka Dome for yep. the WGP World Heavyweight Championship because he's freaking Jay White and he can do what he likes. <laughs> they, 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 I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see as well, like how they're able to kind of fill that void now when ROH gets up again because ROH yeah. will just put, like fill that slot a little bit better in Impact. But you know, I, I've said this before and we say on the Rewind a lot. Like the the best show you can watch consistently is Impact. Not that it's good. It's just stuff that happens. It's just consistent. Yeah, yeah. It's consistently yeah. great wrestling. Like yeah. it might might be nonsense, but you're still like it's still good. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I think if you like on a weekly wrestling show basis, AEW's been does all right, but it does have patches of silliness, obviously. Yeah. And I think you know MLW from the bits I've seen seems to be consistently good, but not as consistent as Impact Wrestling. Because if all eight fails, you've got Diana Perazzo. That's it. Jordan, and that's it. And Jordan yeah. Grace. <laughs> like literally carrying the whole show like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both physically and figuratively Absolutely. um but yeah and that that's the that's how it goes um yeah. unfortunately wrestle one would not last oh mm. up until about 2017 then muto became a freelancer and eventually joined the one major promotion he hadn't wrestled for <laughs> which was noah uh a couple of years ago and Noah went big time on him to the point where he beat um, Go Shiozaki for the uh, for the Global Honor Crown Heavyweight Championship, um, mm. another King's Row title, and making him the only one of three, two people to have won the Global Honor Crown, uh, IWGP and Triple Crown and NWA World Heavyweight Championships. The other world person uh, being, um, no, he's the only person. The only other person to have done it, oh, Hiroshi Tenzan. Uh, was the other person? No, no, he didn't. Hiroshi turns on the Triple Crown and IWGP title. The only other person who's done it now is Satoshi Kojima because he won the Global Honor Crown last month. Um, but uh, in this particular case, he won the Global Honor Crown and really tried to get Noah over the hill in terms of more international representation. Noah had been through a rough patch. The company had got the, the basically the company was founded with Misawa got. When Masawa passed away, Teyu took over. It was an independent company. And then it got bought out by uh, a former All Japan wrestler who kind of changed the whole company around, changed the look of the company, changed the direction of the company. None of the wrestlers liked it. None of the fans liked it. He eventually sold it out to Cyberfight, who brought back the green to make, you know, the Noah green. They changed the logos to a more modern logo, but it's still virtually, you know, going back to the days of Masawa and honoring his memory while still trying to move the company forward. And they had this idea of, Let's have some great names to help young this young talent lift themselves up to be a big international star. And this was um, part of their big run, which really saw them have an awful lot of momentum going right up until around about March this year, when things suddenly the wheels fell off, which we'll get into in a moment. Because <laughs> recently the wheels may have come back on again, which I'll explain shortly. But the result of that was put the title on Kiyoji Muto because he's the biggest name we have in the company and he can make some people. 
because that happened with Masato Tanaka in DDT, which is another cyber fight company, and then Yonakiyama in DDT, another side, which is, you know, again, like I said, part of cyber fight. So as it's the same booking crew, as it's the same owners, they went, let's go with Keiji Muto. He knows what he's doing. He can carry a championship, give us gravitas, and put us back on the international stage, which is exactly what he did. Uh, and here is wrestling Kiyomiya, a match I saw at the time, and I loved it. It was absolutely astoundingly good. Um, the the um, NOAA English commentary team of Stu and Mark do an excellent job of presenting it. It's really well presented in the show itself. And the match is excellent for a guy who's 58 years old and has no knees. Well, he still kills it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not the best match. It really isn't. No. But it's a very satisfying match. Yes. I mean, the the pacing of it, look, I would have, it's 42 minutes long. Yeah. Give or take, <laughs> right? I would have scaled this down to about, uh, in ring, it's about 20 minutes. This could have been a nice tight 10-minute match. But yeah. at the same time, when when the when the match is over and you see uh, Mudo with the belt, it is very, you know, you're like, oh, he earned this. You know, it, it's 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 not going Broadway as such, but any less would have been too little. You know, any yeah. more would have been too much. It's 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 this weird balancing act where you're like, you know, Noah. I also I, I do love the new Noah logo. Uh, it is very cool, isn't it? It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's not as lovely. Um, it, it's it's kind of had that big fight feel, you know, and it, it's weird because you're like. It shouldn't, you know, in a certain way, it shouldn't. I mean, it's, you know, he's he, Mudo's in there wrestling someone who has to be about 30, 30, you know, for the 30 years of senior is younger, you know? Yeah. And um, it looks unfair at certain points because he's battering him. Yeah. But at the same time, he, it's like, yeah, he, everyone knows his knees are gone, that he is older, that he has been injured, et cetera, et cetera. So there is that kind of fairness in it where you're like, right, well, will he be able to go the distance? And that seems to be what what they're trying to do, you know? So when he eventually does and hits a beautiful shine wizard uh, at certain points throughout the match, mm. you're like, damn. Yeah. That's great. He literally you know? has still got it. I mean, he I has still is, got it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously we both watched and we both reviewed um, uh, Forbidden Dawns. We, and I think we both commented on the way you know AEW uses Sting as break glass in case of emergency special attraction. Yeah, and which is the right way to do. Yeah, yeah, which is which is probably what they should have been doing with Mutra at the time. But in, yeah. in the other sense, they get the best out of him. They do. You know, yeah, they do. You know, it's um, it's part of the M's M Monsters faction with other wrestlers whose name begin with M, like Naomichi Marafuji. <laughs> 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 it's just like. So you're 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 a faction because you've got names that begin with M, right? Okay. Masahiro Fujita. Yeah, all right then. Okay, <laughs> Masanato Tanaka. Yeah, um, but yeah, and it's like Noah have kind of flicked back and forth between the old guys. Like Fujita won the title. Um, he beat, uh, um, I can't. I'm oh, okay. Kashinaka beat. Muto for the championship, had a blistering run with the title and then dropped it to Vegeta and everybody went, why have you given it to the old man? <laughs> and it's like, oh, for God's sake. And then he's dropped it to Go Shizaki. Um, and then Go Shizaki dropped it to Kikajima, who's another old man, but he's a much better old man. <laughs> See, I, I mean, I, I usually this is the kind of thing that 
you'd you'd be upset about. You know, mm. you're like, oh, the old men winning the belts. But the difference is, it's like they go out and have these wars. Yeah. You know, and you're like, it's not like, oh, you're winning this because you're. And obviously, look, wrestling's not real. But no, I mean, but it is. But it's like, yeah, I mean, Kojima. But it is. You know, yeah, but you don't mind we could like Kojima took John Moxley to the limit for 18 minutes on AEW last year. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he's, like, yeah, he's 45, but he's a very good 45. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> it, 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 that's what I'm saying. If it just yeah. could have been 10 minutes, and yeah. the same thing would have been achieved, but, but the you, fact it, that this, yeah, it wouldn't have the same impact. No, because it's the main event of the Fukuoka Dome. You can't go 10 minutes. No, it, like you it's a, it, it's a war. Like there's a bit. Yeah. Like as soon as the match ends, um, Kato rolls out and he's like taping him up, and it's like, yeah, he did get killed, didn't he? <laughs> it's just that little bit where you're just like, okay, he's still the best. It's Triple H, you know. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I will tell you why Noah have managed. Would you like to hear the Noah story of why they managed to blow momentum very quickly? Go on, sure. We'll finish out that way. Two words. Michael Elgin. Oh God, yeah. Well, that says it all, really. Right. So they, <laughs> so they booked the, about two months ago. They booked Michael Elgin to have a run, um, and the Western fans went crazy, as you can imagine. Like, why are you booking him? He's awful. No one likes him. He's a sex pest. Here is the history of the reason why he's lost jobs before. This is the reason why you shouldn't book him. This is the reason why Impact Wrestling don't book him anymore. There was like, you look at it and it's like a tirade of Western wrestling fans. I'm going to cancel Russell Universe. I will not be watching any more of your shows. Please do not book this individual. He is awful. Don't let him anywhere near the Tokyo Joshi Pro roster. All the way through this. About two weeks later, they announced a $300,000 challenge. Can you help us improve Noah Wrestling if you are a Western wrestler? And my response to that was, well, you could just stop booking Michael Elgin. It would have much the same effect and be far cheaper. It got 100 likes in less than three hours. Anyway, Ratios. <laughs> Ratios. Yes. Anyway, despite, obviously, they didn't respond to this because, you know, wait, they, they're not going to respond to negative, um, like, press in that particular manner. Um, and they booked him and they made him tag team champions on his first night and third, or his first week in the company. Um, and then about three weeks ago, he mysteriously disappeared. And he was like, Elgin has uh, unfortunately been uh, disposed and will be um, uh, vacating the Global on the Ground Tag Team Championships. And everybody's like, well, where's he gone? When's he coming back? Was the fans of Elgin were saying, the, the three of them. Um, <laughs> and the other responses were, good riddance, glad to hear he won't be coming back. Thank Christ. Anyway, turns out the news has been released today. He was arrested for stealing a tub of protein powder. Very underwhelming. Um, which is just like, there's Michael Elgin. There you go, in a nutshell. If the man can ruin his own career, he will do. <laughs> we told you he wasn't worth the effort, didn't we? And now he's facing the possibility of five years in jail for stealing a $30 tin of protein powder. It's like when it's like when Emma got, got fired for stealing sunglasses. It or stealing an iPad. Sorry, she stole an iPad. Like, well, it is the thing, though. When he was in New Japan a few years ago, Jeff Cobb at the press conference <clears throat> actually said, the only thing you're stealing, brother, is protein powder. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been replayed today numerous times. Oh, wonderful. So there wonderful. you go. But Noah has greatly improved since it stopped booking Michael Elkin. <laughs> you know. I'm sure they would try and book him again. <laughs> Possibly could. 
But he's, he's currently facing charges. They can't. Yeah, at least, at least he stopped now from uh, from going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's it. If you're done for shoplifting in Japan, by the way, you could be detained for 23 days. I discovered that today. I was reading up on on things, but there you go. There you True go. story. There you go. Having said that, we did this rather than to run Michael Elgin down, which is always fun sport, let's be honest. Um, the reason why we did this particular podcast was to look at the life and times of Keiji Muto. So having watched that and we've talking, been talking about the man for two hours, what's your thoughts on Keiji Muto as a legacy in this particular case? He's the Triple H of Japanese wrestling. You mean that in a complimentary way, obviously. There's no other way. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make I didn't mean to make jokes, but carry on. No, it's okay, it's okay. I mean look, we're still friends. You can be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um no, in all seriousness, uh, I look he is just like when you see the playlist, the sad part is you see him aging and slowing down, right? But mm. that's what humans do. However, you also see the change and evolution in him where he's like he goes from being kind of nothing like the big hoss punch kick punch kick to zipping around the ring to being one of the more interesting parts of wcw the japanese thing but better yeah then he goes to japan and really kind of defines himself mm. and then becomes that workhorse um pinnacle of japanese wrestling where he's one of the names as you said you mentioned he's one of the first names to come up you know his legacy is you know the shining wizard Mm. The, the mist, the face paint, the the ceremonial uh, outfit walking out to the ring. Like, I mean, that's enough. That alone, yeah. like that alone is, you know, I guarantee you go to a, an independent show tonight or during the week and you're going to see some lad use a shiny wizard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there you go. <laughs> that, that, and he probably doesn't even know who Muda is, but he's like, oh, I like the shiny wizard. You know? <laughs> Uh, that's kind of how you live forever. So he is going to be one of those guys that, you know, when the book is written, the books haven't written on it. He's like the first name that's brought up. He's on the Mount Rushmore of Japanese wrestling. And it's a treat to watch. It really is. Like, there's obviously better matches that you can see him in. But to have him um, in such a condensed way, it's it's super cool. You know, um, working with Tanahashi as well, like, that's brilliant. You know, it was a great yeah. match. Yeah. Uh, he, he's kind of worked with everybody, you know? So, I mean... Yeah, he he's one of those guys that if you're if you're watching Japanese wrestling, you're gonna you're gonna kinda see it all. And that playlist, I mean I would put that play look playlist up, um, James, if you can, because Yeah, we'll do. I mean put it's put it, it in the we'll tag it in the tag it in the tweets as we do as well. Yeah, because it's super good. Like it's just and also for the weirdness of it. I mean you, you you get to kind of drop in at different points of wrestling history and it's so cool to have them just there. You know, he's kind of like he is, it's funny. He he is kind of like Sting in that sense, where yeah, where he shows up, you can kind of get a snapshot of where of where wrestling was. You know, and it's cool because like he's there doing certain things that would not really pay off until a couple of years later, as he said with Forbidden Door. His mm. love of wrestling opened up that to make it a thing, which now has combinated with AEW being what yeah. it is. You yeah. know, it's it, it, it look, it's unfortunate he was never in WWE, but he doesn't have to be. He's bigger than WWE. And that's yeah. a fact. Like yeah. genuinely, he probably knows that. He's like, I don't need this, you know? I mean, mm. he didn't. Like what what would he do in WWE that he he hasn't been able to do himself? Like the the obvious answer is wrestle the Undertaker. Mm. That's it. That would be the only thing he could do that he wouldn't be able to do anywhere else. 
Arguably, it may have happened. I don't know. I'd have to look at some, maybe some house shows in WCW where he may have actually done pre one wrestling. Undertaker been wrestling me and Mark Callis. But... Yeah, but The Undertaker. There is that difference, and that would be the only thing that yeah. you, know, you can't, you couldn't do elsewhere because it is that specific character. Yeah. And I mean, that would have been cool to see, but then again, you know, we saw what happened with Stingman over there. So. Yeah, it is what it is. So I I think he made the right decision by sticking to his guns and, you know, having that like, again, there's two standouts there. There's the, the match he had with Chronic and Goldberg, which was weird, but brilliant. <laughs> and, and, and the match at, in Bell for Glory in 2014, like it shows you that he is so much beyond like his careers. It's like five or six different careers molded together. The fact that he wrestled as two different people completely yeah. separately at yeah. the same time in the same promotion is insane, but also really cool. That's like, it's just such a cool thing that he managed to do that. No one else really, even Mick Foley, where he would do the three faces of Foley. It was still Mick Foley. This guy was like, no, I'm a different, a different person, bro. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just, you talking about, you know? it, it, he embodies a time of wrestling for me. When I first started watching WCW, he embodies the first time I started watching new Japan pro wrestling. Cause he was there then. Yeah, you know, and whenever you kind of like picked up a wrestling magazine, he'd always be there because he, when he was, he was a top guy in WCW. Then he was a top guy in New Japan. Then he was the top guy in All Japan. You know, and then the Wrestle Love and Wrestle One stuff. He became a massive draw just because he built wrestling in a certain way that made everyone enjoy it. You know, mm. and you know he's always been there. He's been omnipresent. Even. You know, it was like when Justin Liger retired, I've been watching Justin Liger wrestle before he's retired in 2018. I've been watching wrestle for 32 years. I've been watching Liger wrestle. I've been watching, sorry, uh, Muta wrestle for 33 years now. And I mean, Liger is, is a good person to bring up because he did yeah. go into WWE for like that one show. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean, Muta could still do it. Like he's he's not retired fully, right? He's on the He's on the retirement tour. Yeah, so I, I mean, think I think it, I think it's unlikely because you haven't got Triple H in the power of position, that's power it, that's, and regal and yeah. all those guys who yeah. knew him. Yeah, you know, I you think might, he, although you might see him in AEW. You might see him in AEW. He did turn I, up on that ring. He did turn up at Ring of Honor, didn't he? I think. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, I would say if Triple H was still there and the lads were still there, yeah, probably would have happened. Yeah, it but probably could I, have done. But I don't know, man. Like WWE's crazy at the moment. So something, you know, <laughs> happen. I don't know. But I mean, I, I, I would, I would expect to see Muda show up on a on a uh, Western promotion before and, he's done. Before he's yeah. done, I would say there is going to happen one more time somewhere. I would think AEW is the place to do it. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah I say that's safe money. Yeah. I think you know, it's something not ridiculous, but something kind of cool. I'm trying to think something that would, that would be an AEW that would really work with him would probably be somebody like. Um, oh, Darby Allen. Yeah, I was, I was, I was waiting to see if you would say yeah, Darby Allen as, well. I was, yeah. as much as I dis, I dislike Darby Allen's reputation, but um, he actual, is the right, yeah, he's the right, he's the right character to, to do that thing with, and obviously there's the history Actually, of Sting and Muta as well. Even Punk would be cool, to be fair. Punk you know, would be awesome. But yeah. he's injured. Like, I mean, th- there are cool things that you could do. You could have, you could mm. actually even have a run in AEW, yeah. but I, you know, if it is a one and done, I, I agree with you, I think Darby Allen is probably the guy to do it with, as you said, for all the reasons but yeah. then the obvious one being, Sting is there too, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that, well, that, you, that could, you, you could have a time, I mean it, it's 
it's possible because obviously AEW have a talent swap agreement with New Japan, but they also have a talent swap agreement with DDT, which is owned by Cyberfight. Yeah. And they talent swap with TJPW and they talent swap with DDT. So I don't see why they can't talent swap with Noah. Yeah. So like, it's, I, a, it's a possibility. And all you have to do is take you take Muto and Kiyomiya or, or Muto and Okada and you, you, you put them up against Sting and Darby Allen. Yeah. And they don't have to. The, the young lads can do the horse work and you have a Shining Wizard and you have a Stinger Splash and there you, there, you there you go. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be hard work, does it? No. And I mean, I, yeah. I, I would say that to me, if this is the last run that he's going to do, that's going to happen. So something similar will happen because, I mean, mm. how can it not? It's like, yeah, this is what so. he does. <laughs> he goes places <laughs> and does things, you know? It's like, it's like Mox. Mox is like, yeah, gosh, open an independent show. Yeah, with four people. Yeah, let's go yeah, all around the park. Yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah. Where, where, where are we this weekend, Brett? Yeah. Kipsy. I mean, okay. <laughs> and I mean, if that's in them, that's what they're yeah. gonna do. And it seems like that's that's Muda's thing. Like he's like, yeah, all right, let's go do it. You know? Yeah. There you go. Right, we are gonna have to call it, it for today because I have to go and uh, produce the today at the G1 show, and you have to go and do the wrestling rewind. So we'll have to call it. It's a busy Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, it's a busy Sunday night. I mean, I, I would much rather watch this playlist than watch WCW. But hey. Bad WCW, which is what we do. So, I mean, uh, I, I hope everyone appreciates what we put ourselves through. Yes, <laughs> we do. Where can we find you on the internet, Dara? Uh, yeah, so obviously you can find us here on the network, um, on the True Penny Network. But also we're on Air to Know Media and um, TheWrestlingRewind.com. So if you go there, I've put in a cool thing. So if you go to TheWrestlingRewind.com, you can actually find all our social media. You can email us. You can donate or whatever you you want to, or you know, all that good stuff. It's all in the one place. So if you go to thewrestlingrewind.com, you'll be able to find literally everything, links to everything. Because guys, the show belongs to you. We want to know what you want us to cover, what you think, feedback. We know you listen. The numbers are great. So what are you doing? Come on, we're not charging it. So <laughs> you know, send us over abuse, even if it's to abuse Dave. Which he deserves because he's not there most of the times. But uh, <laughs> legitimately, uh, yeah, we want to hear from you because, like, again, anything we can find easily available, um, like like James always provides on time I come on here, uh, which I do appreciate a great deal. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we want. So if you guys want us to cover some weird weird shit from WCW, which we're already doing, if you want us ECW, WWA, WWE, um, AEW, whatever, you know, let us know because the show is guided by you guys. And yeah. WrestlingRewind.com. You'll be able to find links to everything. Tweets, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. It's all there. And there's also I, money. We like money too. I will, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I will find you guys a show to review. You Do and, and come on. Mine or Dave. Do I, 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 would, I would like to see it. I'll not say much because I'll just be in the background and giggle. But yeah. no, it needs I, to be a I, surprise. I, I, I'll, I'll figure something out. I'll do a whole show. It'll be, really? I'll, I guarantee it'll be from North America and it'll have an English commentary on it. Okay, that's it, fair. Because the the non English commentary kind of is kind of our thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, so, yeah. I'll, I'll... we we enjoy the commentary team. Like we had to suffer through Mark Baden's horrendous, uh, uh, abhorrent comments that he would say every week. So uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I I upset Mark Madden the other week. He deserves it. I mean, not as a person, but like as a com- I mean, here's the thing. When when when. Twitter discovers the attitude era and and WCW at a time. Wrestling's done, man. It's over. <laughs> Everything's gonna be cancelled. I mean, the stuff he would say, obviously in character, but you're like, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> I said, what he said to, he came out, he tweeted out the other week, like, um, 
yeah, this was this is well most why I upset him. He was like, well, the only the only thing we have to go on that AEW shows are any good is that AEW say they're good. And I know, like, we quote tweeted him back, or someone else quote tweeted and replied to them, like, but every wrestling company say their show is good. Why would you say it was bad? <laughs> that doesn't make Listen, any sense. When WWE was going down the tube, they say we have the greatest night in wrestling history. Yeah, it's like, and I'm like, and then he t- quote tweeted me, quote, he quote tweeted me with something as, uh, saying, well, at least I'm not a fake wrestling journalist. I be- bought my own house through my wrestling commentary. Because he like saw that I was, you know, I've worked for major wrestling outlets in my career. Yeah. To which I replied, Mark, I have personally listened to you tell me how great Monday Nitro is when you were on Monday Nitro. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it too. <laughs> I've what also did... heard, I've heard him stuff. I've heard him say so much worse stuff and make weird noises into a microphone. Women are wrestling. Also yeah. weird. <laughs> so but it's just like, what? anywho, so Mark Madden. Ugh. Yeah, I mean. Buddy, you're welcome on the rewind, but we have questions. We have questions for your Many. career. And like, <laughs> Mark, what are you on? <laughs> anyway, um, yes. That's the you, rewind. That's the rewind. That's the yeah. rewind. You can find me at Sheriff Lancer on Twitter. You can find the show and the channel, Troopany Show, on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show and the Wrestling Rewind free forever for everyone by helping us pay for our SoundCloud fees. That would be lovely if you don't mind. It would be. Money's nice. Money's nice, helps us, yeah. like, you know, pay for stuff. Yeah. Um, and the entire archive of over 700-odd hours of Troopany shows from down the years and flash rewinds with you and Martin and Dave and the old rewinds with um, uh, Freeland and everything. That we're almost done. at 100. We're at 100. Yeah, yeah it was 100. Yeah. yeah. It'll be over 100 with the Freeland ones. Yeah, So, yes, yeah, we've done amazing things. We're, we're on 300 this year when we get Whoa. Them. Yeah um so yeah uh, that entire archive that you can go listen to i'll be back well wednesday is the next day for today at the g1 climax because we are on tour we'll be doing the small shows of the g1 climax which will be lovely um actually it's been worked out better because they're only doing four matches a night from the four blocks so i've not got to watch too much wrestling and get it all watched in time which is nice of them it is nice of them it is nice of them the only trouble is is like it starts later in the day, so it doesn't start till nine o'clock in the morning. So when I'm at work, I get like I'll get the first two matches watched, and I have to wait till I finish work to watch the rest. But there you go. Because like the weekend shows, they do at six a.m. So like this morning, I watched it all by nine o'clock. I could have breakfast. Oh, lovely! It's <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Japanese wrestling. And slowly die of the heat. Yes, that was it. So there you go. Well, <laughs> thanks, thank you very much for listening to us today. We'll be back next week. Not sure what we're looking at. We've got TJPW. We've got New Japan Pro Wrestling. We've got Noah. All sorts of things could happen. But stay tuned and you'll find out what they are. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.